Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the podcast. We greatly appreciate your support. But before we get started, I wanted to tell you about a success story. I wanted to tell you about my friend Carl up in New Boston, Michigan. He listens to our pods every week and he heard me talking about how I might be able to help him out. So he hit me up over at SaveWithConrad.com. He just closed last month and he left us a five-star review and he had this to say. Not only did we save over $100,000 on our mortgage by removing several years off of it, he also saved us a few months of payments. In follow-up, Conrad and Steve are super helpful when I had additional questions. You can't go wrong here with Save with Conrad. Definitely worth the call to understand what your savings could be. Take Carl's word for it. He saved more than a hundred grand. What have you got to lose? Be like Carl. Go to SaveWithConrad.com right now and find out how much money you can save for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Why not you? Why not now? Go to SaveWithConrad.com and find out how much money you can save for free. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get a quick quote right now. Thank me later and you'll be glad you did. SaveWithConrad.com why adfreeshows.com it's simple it's early and ad free why wait for your favorite shows to drop when you can listen as soon as they stop recording there's no need to wait you can access it all before anyone else can plus no ads no one telling you what to bundle or how to keep that man part standing tall none of that it's just straight content from all your favorite hosts including jeff jarrett eric bischoff kurt angle and the rest of the team that's not all you also get immediate access to watching their reactions live on video as well so don't put it off any longer do it now you won't be disappointed start enjoying all the podcasts you love early and ad free at adfreeshows.com Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Brutes. Bridges. Bridges. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. And was he there? I was there. Say something about I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. Scared to shock him. Thank you, Bruce. I love you. You take the cheese. Double cheeseburger. You take the gravy. Double cheese. Well, you know. And then double mayo. You know, it's called chicken salad. Double onion, motherfucker. Oh, you're nothing but an egg sucking dog. They're on your Google machine. God damn, kid. God damn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. Ooh, yeah. What say you? Run out. Something to wrestle with. Con Bruce Pritchard. Eek, the second most record now. Happening in the entire world today. Conrad Olsen. What happened when? Huh? What would Vince say about that? Well, hey, Vince. Tell me, yeah. My shorms look good tonight. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. Let's go. Bullshit. Welcome to WrestleMania. World title now. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. I'm pumped. 
It's going to be a fun week. We have already had a lot of fun this week over at adfreeshows.com. If you haven't already, you got to go check it out and specifically be sure to check out the, my world podcast feed. It's called my world with Jeff Jarrett. It's available everywhere. You enjoy podcasts and boy, we are up and running in a big way. Episode one was all about holding up Vince McMahon. We got some really great reviews on that episode. Episode two, also available now for free everywhere you enjoy podcasts is where we talk about being fired on national TV and what Jeff was thinking at the time. And of course, context is King as Eric Bischoff always says. So we tell you the story leading up to that fateful last nitro, but maybe the most important episode we've ever done. It comes out this Tuesday. It's all about Owen Hart. Jeff Jarrett has never really told his side of the story and you're going to get it. And it is emotional. Uh, I, I told Jeff when we finished recording, man, that wasn't a podcast. That was an experience. I, uh, I felt like I needed a drink and he told me he felt like he needed a nap. Uh, it was therapeutic. It was something else. You've got to go check it out. It's available now at adfreeshows.com. Of course you get all of our shows early and ad free over there. But you can also hear it everywhere you enjoy podcasts this Tuesday. I also wanted to mention that the dark side of the podcast has returned. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, we have just finished recording episode two, all about Nick Gage. Now, if you haven't already, you need to know that Thursday night on Vice is your home for all things dark side of the ring. Last week was Brian Pillman. Last night was Nick Gage. And the very next day after those episodes air, you can catch Dark Side of the Podcast also on the My World feed. And coincidentally enough, the Nature Boy himself gave me a call this week and said, Conrad, I got some things on my mind. Can you send me a link and us click record? And up it went. We called it the Ric Flair pop-up show. And uh, it's not a regular thing. It's not a permanent podcast, but he just wanted to talk, man. I guess he had been doing a, a bunch of publicity and he wanted to get sort of into the weeds about all things wrestling. So we clicked record. Uh, the video for that is over at adfreeshows.com, but you can hear the audio right now for free. Also on the, my world podcast feed and what a tremendous list of topics we've had this week. If you haven't already, I can't recommend that you give the Arn show another look. We've sort of hit the reset button. We've spent a lot of time talking about his time behind the scenes as an agent for the WWE. So we caught up on more modern WWE from 2010 and 2015. Well, we decided to just go back to the very beginning. Uh, episode one of our reset was called growing up Arn, And you hear about the man behind the character and how he had a strained relationship, if you will, with his parents and what his grandparents meant to him. And then how eventually he found professional wrestling. It's a pretty interesting human story, uh, less gaga and less ha ha, as we like to say here on something to wrestle and really heavy on the man behind the man. So check it out. If you haven't already, uh, this Saturday, so tomorrow morning at six Oh five, we have a tremendous episode that we've named Pensacola with peewee. When uh, we see our buddy, Marty Lundy. AKA Arn Anderson, get his first break in professional wrestling with bullet Bob Armstrong's territory. So if you're a big territory guy, boy, you are going to love Arn Anderson's new format. It's Saturdays at six Oh five. Just look for Arn anywhere. You enjoy podcasts. We've also got a brand new episode that's in the can. That's going to be dropping early and ad free. Of course, over at adfreeshows.com. But the gist is about finding the bill Watts territory. How did he first come to work for Watts? What was he learning now that he was on the road for real? Uh, because we've always heard, boy, there was 
such a thing as, you know, making towns. And then there was working for Bill Watts. You were putting thousands of miles on your car every single week. And we talk about that in great detail, breaking down all the different towns, all the different buildings, all the different opponents, and what it was like to learn to live on the road. So it's, uh, it's different than probably any other wrestling podcast you've ever heard. You also know that as a rule, we don't really do guests on my shows, but we do guests over on the Kurt angle show. And we just had quite the guest in Randy Orton. Uh, so Randy Orton, who almost never does interviews sort of out of character, you get to hear from the man behind the character that's over on the Kurt angle show. It aired last Sunday, this Sunday, we're talking about judgment day, 2006. And, uh, we've got a lot of other great stuff in the can, including the first episode in June, which is going to be up at adfreeshows.com before you know it is all about his pal, David Schultz. If you don't know that story and you don't know about the Fox catcher situation, wow, it's, uh, it's not your typical wrestling podcast. It's a tribute to a great man who had a tragic ending. We're not going to talk about a lot of murders on my podcast here, but this is a real life movie type situation. And it's over on the Kurt Angle show. I also wanted to mention grilling JR has been a hot topic these days because somehow, some way, we found JR's old radio clips. That's right. Remember when he used to have a show in Atlanta? It was WSB, it was a monster station. So even though it was based in Atlanta, you could hear it in like over a dozen states. Just a power signal. Anyway, he had guests on there from Paul Heyman to Bobby Heenan to Randy Savage and everyone in between. And we found the tape. And it's so cool to go back and listen to that in, in a nostalgia format week by week. We're dropping new episodes over at adfreeshows.com. It's been so fun to discover. I also wanted to mention, we've got some really cool stuff coming up. If you haven't already heard it all about 2001 in the WWF with, uh, with JR, we covered judgment day, 2001, but then we also cover that very famous tag match, perhaps the most famous tag match in raw history. We're stone cold teams with triple H and they dropped the tag straps to Benoit and Jericho. And of course you remember that's where triple H tore his quad. Uh, that's up over at adfreeshows.com. And of course, all things, 1986 is still the format for Tony Schiavone. Uh, I believe it is the golden era of Jim Crockett promotions. Certainly the biggest, their business had ever been the rock and roll express are on absolute fire. Jim Cornette is in rare form. Dusty's off and running. Ric Flair is styling and profiling. The four horsemen are really starting to, uh, become a real thing in professional wrestling. And we're having a lot of fun watching it week by week. And we've introduced a lot of our listeners, myself included to new favorites like Shaska Watley. Uh, so check that out. And of course, who could forget Eric Bischoff? Boy, this is going to be a special year for that show. It's the 25th anniversary of the NWO. So this coming Monday, uh, we're doing an ask Eric anything for more than two hours, but then next week we're going to do a watch along of the famous nitro where Scott Hall came down the stands. It's the very first two hour nitro. It's a very special episode, but we'll also have Eric watch the Monday night raw that was head to head with that show. We really do believe that context is King. And we wanted to make sure that we put both episodes on the same feed at the same time, and we could compare how wrestling was about to change. I really do believe there was a then, and then there was a now, and then something changed at all. So you're going to get to see sort of the last nitro before things started to change. Uh, and at the same time, just for context, the raw that aired the exact same week. 
So we're going to have a lot of fun on the podcast this year, and uh, it all happens right now, early and ad-free at adfreeshows.com. Today's topic was supposed to be about Dr. Death with Bruce, uh, but as you can imagine, these pay-per-view weeks are incredibly challenging for Bruce, so we didn't get a chance to click record. But we will be back on Tuesday covering all things Dr. Death. A peek behind the curtain. I'm out of town this weekend, uh, so he would have been able to record on uh, Saturday, but I will be in Atlanta uh, for a graduation party, so I won't be able to do that. But he will be back and at his desk the morning after Monday Night Raw, and we're going to click record on all things Dr. Death this Tuesday. Uh, We're not going to make you wait until next Friday. We're going to go ahead and drop it right then. And at some point we're going to try to squeeze out part two of Kevin Nash. And we're so excited about that because I think Kevin Nash has one of the best WWF stories around. I mean, you look at what he was doing in WCW from Oz and Vinny Vegas, and now he becomes diesel and becomes world champ and becomes a power broker really in the business with the whole click situation. And then he leaves for that quote unquote sting money. And the business is never quite the same. So we love talking about Kevin Nash and you're going to get Kevin Nash part two. Uh, the plan is to drop that next Friday. Uh, so we're going to try to load up as much as we can this next week for something to wrestle today, though, we're going back and we're revisiting the heartbreak kid, Sean Michaels, his 1993 is pretty pivotal. If I'm honest though, we couldn't really talk much about 92 because well, as you know, Bruce wasn't there. Uh, He came back right after SummerSlam 92, so there only would have been a handful of months we could have covered for 92, but 93 was really a breakout year for Shawn Michaels. Uh, He's going to become Intercontinental Champion and really become one of the best performers in the business. Of course, we know he stole the show at 94, but that's a story for another time. Uh, But we wanted to talk about the beginning of Shawn Michaels, and I felt like the timing was right. Since this Sunday on A&E, is there enough wrestling on TV these days, by the way? This Sunday on A&E, they're doing the biography on Shawn Michaels' life. Uh, And if you're like me, you hated the Macho Man episode, but boy, that Booker T episode last week was a home run. I'm pumped to see what they do with Shawn, and I thought, hey, why not celebrate Shawn a little more here on Something to Wrestle? So without further ado, let's get rolling into Shawn Michaels' 1993 right here on Something to Wrestle With. Out, Bruce Pritchard. Stay tuned. It's the remix. Well, let's go ahead and talk about why we're really here, Bruce. And I'm pretty excited about this because this is an episode that we've been looking forward to for a long time. It's the heartbreak kid, Sean Michaels. And coming into 1993, Sean's on one of the biggest runs of his career. You know, we just talked about the rockers episode a few weeks ago. You can enjoy that in the archives over at BrucePritchard.com. And he's at the one-year mark of being both a heel and a singles wrestler. And he's now the reigning Intercontinental Champion. He won it back on October 27th, 1992 from the British Bulldog. And this is when that title didn't really bounce around and change hands very often. And he had just wrestled his first pay-per-view main event where he unsuccessfully challenged Bret Hart for the world title at Survivor Series. Now, that's not the screw job. That's five years prior to that it's kind of fun to think about they had a world title match five years prior so we're not really going to dig too much into 92 bruce but how was vince feeling about sean at this point is it a vote of confidence that he gets the win over bulldog what do you remember about sean winning the intercontinental title there in october during this period it was a show me time It, it was it was what does sean have you say you want it 
but how bad does he really want it? And Vince's opinion was, all right, I'm going to give you this opportunity. Show me what you're going to do with it. And I'll make my decision. Then the jury was still out on Shawn Michaels at this point in Vince's head. If the jury's still out, say in October, why is a month later he in the main event with Bret Hart? Well, because we had just had in that November of 92, uh, you know, you lost Bulldog and you lost the ultimate warrior. So we were in a rebuilding stage and we needed to do something quick and we had to shake it up just out of sheer necessity. Got to try some new things. And Sean wanted that opportunity. Uh, You know, I know Pat definitely wanted to give Sean that opportunity. So it was just time to shake things up a little bit. Now, Sean and Brett, according to the rumor and innuendo, were actually pretty close at this time because Brett had been sort of arguing for Sean behind the scenes, or at least that's the narrative that Brett Hart would have you believe. And even Pat Patterson sort of supports some of that, that maybe these smaller guys, no offense, but this is certainly a different era from the Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior era. Maybe these guys were sort of sticking together. Do you remember what the relationship was like at the time between Brett and Sean? They were good friends. You know, they, they were good friends and they kind of hung out together. They even traveled a little bit together, but this was an era where post steroids. So some of the bigger guys weren't as big as they used to be. So maybe people were looking at the talent that could go in the ring when that damn bell rang. And they were looking at some guys that weren't the biggest in the world but knew what they were doing in the ring. And Bret Hart definitely fit that bill, and so did Shawn Michaels. So do you believe it was a conscious effort from Vince McMahon to say, you know what, we um, we don't want anyone who doesn't sort of pass the, the smell test for steroids. We need a champion, and we need to highlight superstars that when the outside world takes a look inside of our organization, they won't question our featured guys like maybe they have in the past as to whether or not they were on the gas. I know it was, uh, it was definitely an effort to that to try and just change people's perception of the WWF and what a WWF superstar was. Let me just freestyle this had the steroid trial never happened. Do you think Bret Hart becomes the world champion when he did? Not when he did. No. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, Sean's intercontinental title run, because soon after he wins the belt, I believe Mr. Perfect was on TV doing commentary for a match. And he referred to him as the heartbreak kid and the rest they say is history. So things start falling into place. Do you remember where that heartbreak kid moniker came from? Was it a happy accident? Was it a marketing strategy? How did that name come to be? That was something that he used with Sherry Martell, and I think he was calling himself the Heartbreak Kid long before Mr. Perfect did. But it was a nickname. It was just a moniker, kind of like, you know, Mr. WrestleMania that Sean was doing that just stuck. And it was a happy accident, but it was something that Sean had been doing for a while and talking about, you know, I'm the Heartbreak Kid and I'm breaking hearts all over the place. And that was part of his MO working with Sherry at that time. So it was a great happy accident. If you uh, ask me, I don't think anybody would have thought all these years later, what 30 years later, that that would be the, the moniker they remember. 
All right, if you're a business owner, you don't need us to tell you that running a business is tough, but you might be making it harder on yourself than really necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives your visibility and control over your financials, your HR, your inventory, your e-commerce, and more. In fact, it's everything you need all in one place instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or a hundreds of millions in revenue, you can save both time and money with NetSuite. So join over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash wrestle. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash wrestle. That's netsuite.com slash wrestle. Coming into 1993, we see the return of Sean's former partner, Marty Gennetti, who returns when he does a run in through the crowd and attacks Sean as he's posing in front of a mirror in the ring. And Marty accidentally hits Sherry with the mirror. And this happens. Uh, and of course, Sean pulls her in front of him and Sherry ends up staying off TV until the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. And then it's announced that Sean Michaels is going to defend the belt against Marty Jannetty. Now we've talked about all this on our rocker show, specifically the later portion where we cover all of Marty Jannetty's run. But were you guys hoping to get a WrestleMania nine rematch out of these guys? I mean, it feels like the natural progression of things that Marty and Sean would have wrestled at WrestleMania nine. Was that ever in the cards and why didn't it happen? Well, it was in the cards and that is something that we really wanted to do. But, uh, as I like to say, Marty's demons just got the better of him and we had to go to plan B. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the presentation of Sean, you know, when he splits off from Marty, he's trying to redefine his look and he tries a few different things. He tries the sunglasses and the earrings, uh, and the, the ring vest and a different set of tights and, um, a different type of boots. Does he put all that together all on his own or is there creative services giving him some input here? A little bit of both. And Sean was doing a lot of it on his own and Sean was going out and having these outfits made from Julie Youngberg, uh, the, the nuns, as we call them, the seamstresses that would travel around. They didn't work for the WWF at the time, but it was a sister pair that were great seamstresses that did a lot of work for the different guys. And Sean would rely on Julie to come up with outfits for him and he wanted to be different. So that was his way of being different. Later on, creative services from time to time would come up with a different look for him and different tights and different things. But for the most part, that was Sean relying on Julie to make him look different. We talked a little bit about Sherry on our Rockers episode, but I'd like to do it again here because I don't think she ever really gets enough credit. How was she paired together with Sean? How did Sean feel about it? How did Sherry feel about the pairing? They Sherry and Sean had worked together in the AWA prior to both of them coming in to work for the WWF. So they knew each other. Um, Sherry was the, ta- the manager 
of the tag team, Doug Summers and Pretty Boy Buddy Rose in AWA, and they were working with Sean and Marty as the Rockers for many years. Sean and Marty did so many spots with Sherry, and she just was one of the boys as far as her work goes. Everybody loves Sherry. I miss her every day. Every time I see a picture of Sherry, I just go, man, too soon. Just too, they took her away from us way too soon. She was such a superb talent and, and so damn great to work with. But they had a natural, they fit. They had a natural charisma with one another. And they could do everything without having to say a whole lot. They knew each other's moves and they knew each other well enough that they didn't have to talk a whole lot. All right, time out. I want to interject here for a minute and just talk a little bit about Shawn Michaels and the way he presented himself with the different outfits over the years. Now, I don't think that matters as much today. Maybe it does. What do you think? Throw us a tweet at Pritchard show, but specifically, I think Sean was perhaps inspired by greats like Ric Flair or the macho man, Randy Savage, man. Every time you saw them come to the ring, they were wearing something way over the top. There was no way they were just going to blend in. When a guy walks in with, with all of that on, you think, uh, I don't know who he is, but he's somebody it sticks out like a sore thumb. And I think that was almost Sean's way. And perhaps macho man's way of, uh, sort of upending the old Vince McMahon. When that guy walks through an airport, you know, the idea is, does he garner attention on his own or do we have to sort of fill in the gaps for him? Sean Michaels outfits out of context are hilariously over the top. They're crazy, but so are the macho mans. And so are Ric Flair's. And by the way, they were all stars, but they made it work. You know, I just think about, man, can you imagine if like, uh, Duke, the dumpster Drose, Bruce hates when I say it like that. Can you imagine if he wore Shawn Michaels gear to the ring? That'd be hilarious. Or what if Barry Horowitz was strutting ass out there like the macho man hilarious but it worked with those guys. And I do think that it makes a difference. And I wonder if that sticks out to Vince, you know, were they doing that to get fans attention or were they doing that to get Vince's attention? And does it send a message to the quote unquote office that, Hey, I'm willing to invest in myself because it's not like that stuff was cheap. And, you know, over the years, we've had some of our favorite performers like mankind. I mean, my goodness, towards the end of Foley's career, he's running around in a button up and sweats. And it worked not being critical, just saying, you know, when a guy goes out and he's spending hundreds or perhaps thousands of dollars on his outfits and just to make an impression that's got to resonate with the boss, right? I don't know. Maybe there's something to it these days, or is it necessary? Is it more about the quote unquote work these days? I mean, it's not like Austin had to, or Hulk had to, and maybe these guys didn't have to, but they chose to. I guess that's the question. Was it a worthwhile investment? I think it was. What say you? There was a tweet at Pritchard show. Let's get back to it. Of course, Sean was on the very first Monday night raw on January 11th, 1993, working with Max moon, Bruce, how would Vince McMahon describe Max moon? Yeah. Good God. I mean, yeah, he's futuristic. He's got guns and cannons. It's awesome. And he shoot from his, from his wrists, from his ass, from his titties. Vince had high hopes for Max Moon, man. That was an expensive damn outfit. Originally, 
made for our friend Conan over at uh, Keeping It Real. He was the original going to be. No, no, no. Keeping It 100. Keeping It 100. Hey, uh, you said that maybe Max Moon was going to shoot things from his titties. What kind of titties did Max Moon have? Titanium titties. I was hoping for moon titties. I don't know what's wrong with our life. Uh, the Royal Rumble we referenced is January 24th. That goes down in Sacramento, California. And on our way here, Marty is working with Sean on all the house show loops. And we talked about this match a little bit in our rockers episode when we covered Marty Janetti's run. This is a four-star match. According to the observer, they go just over 14 minutes and, uh, People are really impressed with this. Of course, you know, the finish, a super kick and Michaels gets the win. Uh, they start brawling again in the dressing room after the match. And Sean tells a pretty interesting story about the Royal rumble. He says the night before the rumble, I stayed out too late. As I was walking back to my hotel, I tripped over a concrete parking divider and scuffed myself up pretty good. When I came to the building the next day, Vince was very angry with me. He was mad because I was out. And not in good shape. I think he was thinking that I might, he might be able to really do something with me, but all the partying I was doing wasn't good. If he was going to invest a lot of time and money in me, he wanted to make sure that I would be there. He was thrilled with me professionally, but I was not exactly endearing myself to him with my personal habits. I apologized, but I really wasn't sorry. I was developing a chip on my shoulder. My attitude was, as long as I take care of business in the ring, whatever I do in my personal life is my business. Now I understand that was wrong on several accounts, but at the time, I wouldn't hear any of it. I felt Vince had no right to tell me what to do in my free time. And Meltzer actually covered this and reported that they had to do a makeup job on Sean before the rumble because he had cuts all around his eyes. What do you remember about all of this? Well, I'm not too sure that the, that it was a trip, uh, in a parking lot, if you will, you know, it's kind of like the battered wife that screams, Hey, no, I just fell down and I bumped my eye on a door. No one other than Sean really knows what happened. He looked like he had been in a hell of a fight the night before and it didn't look good. Didn't look professional. So when Sean's personal life and what's happening on the outside is affecting the way he looks and the way that he presents himself in business, that it is Vince's business. It is our business to come back and say, Hey, Sean, you got to straighten up what you're doing out there because it is affecting you in the ring, the way you look, the way you move and how you handle yourself. And people see him all beat up. You know, they just saw him on TV. He looked fine. And then he shows up in a pay-per-view and looks like he's been beat up by 10 guys there's a disconnect there. So that's why Vince is upset and is wanting him to straighten his stuff out. There's lots of rumor and innuendo out here that the reason he had scrapes around his face is because he got into it with Marty Jannetty. And we covered this on the rockers episode that maybe Sean got in Vince's ear and says that Marty was drunk or not himself. And this happened during the rumble match and that Sean had to lead him around by the nose. Well, that maybe is just all rumor and innuendo, but it's a fact that Marty was fired pretty soon after this. And they're sort of scrambling to figure out what direction they're heading. Have you heard any sort of rumor that maybe the scrap that caused Sean to be scuffed up was actually with Marty? 
Yeah, that definitely was the rumor and, and probably the probably the fact as well. So that's what everybody thought. That's what everybody had heard. And it certainly looked like a hell of a lot more than, you know, tripping in a parking lot. So with Marty out, Tatanka is put into that spot. And uh, I just got to ask Bruce, what was the stuff Tatanka used on his hair? The really nice red and blue that was that was war you know that was war paint for his hair and everything it, it certainly wasn't you know just for men because I promise you man for over 30 years men have trusted just for men to provide easy gray care solutions and Tataka wasn't gray yet but right now hey man you can trust just for men to provide a hair regrowth solution as well It's been formulated with the number one dermatologist recommended ingredient proven to regrow hair. It's 5% minoxidil. It's hairy. Or minoxidil. There you go. Uh, From Just For Men. And it's an easy to use topical solution that's clinically proven to help regrow hair. It works by reactivating those hair follicles to stimulate regrowth. It's perfect for men with thinning hair. Plus, it's a unique precision spray applicator. So this is going to make hair regrowth pretty easy. It's pretty simple, man. You just spray it in, sit back, and move on. Because when you look as good as you feel on the inside, every date night, every meeting, every guy's night out will be something to look forward to. That's right. Start winning over thinning and look for one in three months supplies of hair regrowth in the shave aisle or visit JFM growhair.com and use promo code regrowth25 to get 25% off your purchase. That's jfmgrowhair.com and use promo code regrowth25 for 25% off. Save today. So Sean starts working all the house shows at this point with Bob Backlund and Backlund's actually winning a majority of these matches by count out. And Sean has said that working with Bob was easy. Uh, he's a wrestler's wrestler, and he thinks that Bob had fun working with him. We haven't talked a lot about Bob in this era. How was he fitting in with all the guys? Sean had good good things to say. Well, Sean was, I mean, Sean, uh, Bob was a wrestler's wrestler. And Backlund was a little bit older now. He's coming back at a time when things have changed up a little bit. But Vince was looking for that and looking for Bob Maybe we would finally get that heel run out of Bob Backlund. So one of the things that had always held Backlund back for many years was that goody two shoes, baby face, aw shucks uh, personality. And Vince felt that if we brought Bobby in right now, bring him back in as a baby face, but just kind of slowly turn him into a heel that he would get the heel Bob Backlund that he had always been after. I think everybody, for the most part, you know, guys that could go and enjoyed working hard, loved working with Bob Backlund. And I think some guys could find him a little awkward because Bobby will blow you up and Bobby can go all night long. And it just uh, was a different style. But for somebody like a Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels, that Bob Backlund style worked. I found some interesting house show results here. January 30th in Providence and on the 31st in Toronto, Shawn Michaels is working with Randy Savage. 
and they do a double count out the first time. And the second time Randy wins by count out. And we've talked a little bit about this on our Randy at Randy Savage episode that maybe he wanted to have a year long run with Shawn Michaels. How did he enjoy working with a young Shawn Michaels here in January 93? You know, when Randy would get in the ring and Randy would work and we would use Randy as he used to say, Oh yeah, you guys need help. So you got to call the pros first name, macho last name, man to the rescue. Uh huh. Well, we, we would put Randy in a lot of these, substitution when we didn't have anything else spots and Randy always delivered, frankly, he over delivered whenever he got put in those spots. But yeah, you, ha- you have to remember also Randy on the other side, telling us, I want to retire. You know, I don't want to be on the road all the time. I, I, I want to come into the office. I want to learn. Uh, he was doing the color commentary spot for raw and for superstars that was something that Randy had expressed to us. He had a desire to do. So a lot of mixed messages here, but Randy was still going to be that go-to guy. Still, he was going to be the ambassador for the WWF. Um, but Vince had no intention, especially during this time frame when he was trying to draw Randy back a lot. He wasn't going to put, put him out there in another program. On February 1st, Sean's in a 15-man battle royal on Raw. Razor Ramon gets the nod there. And through the rest of February, he's working house shows where Bob Backlund's beating him by countout or Crush is beating him by countout. I feel like we've said the countout finish here for almost every match. Why was the countout finish so popular for Shawn Michaels in this early 1993 time frame? Because he was the Intercontinental Champion, can't beat the champion, and... Also, can't God damn it, can't beat the baby face in a house show. It's a it's a cheap finish. It's it's an easy way to get the baby face hand raised and, and not beat your champion and have to switch time. On the February twenty second Raw, Sean would team with the Beverly brothers to take on Tatanka and the Nasty Boys. Tatanka and the Nasties get the win, but Sean would write, About a month before WrestleMania, I separated my shoulder while teaming with the Beverly Brothers against Tatanka and the Nasty Boys. I had to take four weeks off and that eliminated any chance of building something big with Tatanka, who I was going to fight at WrestleMania. Do you remember this injury? I do because it was, and it wasn't a major injury. It was a separated shoulder that was able to be put right back into place. He needed some time to allow it to heal, but there was nobody concerned and there was no one saying oh my gosh you know he's he's got to get this fixed or he's going to be out for any extended length of time it was he needs some rest let this thing heal up and he'll be fine hey man let me smarten you up on something that i learned i guess what last year chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers i learned this the hard way but here's a pro tip for you rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody oh and they're reliably low rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear like an airline rockauto.com is for everybody they don't require a membership or an account login they want to save you some cash and this is really proven out for me and my family 
I think I mentioned this a while back. I got my dad, his dream Corvette, an old classic way back when, uh, but I got it for him on his 60th birthday a few years ago. Well, those cars occasionally are going to need parts. We couldn't find anything locally. You know who could hook us up? Rockauto.com. You see, rockauto.com is where I went for my family because rockauto.com is a family business and they've been serving auto parts customers online for more than 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all of your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They literally have something for everybody. We're talking stuff from engine control modules to brake parts, to tail lamps, hell motor oil, even carpet. That's right. Carpet for your car. Now this is not just for old classics. This is for your daily driver too. You can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your front door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. So easy. Even JR could do it quickly. See all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specs, and prices you prefer. Now, best of all prices at rockauto.com. Once again, reliably low all the time. And more importantly for me, they're the same for professionals and do it yourselfers. Why in the world would you spend up to twice as much for the same doggone parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And please write wrestle in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know we sent you. That's important guys. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And please write wrestle in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know that's something to wrestle with. Told you about rockauto.com. Why was Tatanka the guy for Sean at WrestleMania nine? Because we didn't have anybody else. And originally, as we talked about earlier on, you know, Marty Jannetty was going to be in that slot. And now Marty is out. Marty's moved on. He's been fired. We needed someone else in that intercontinental slot and thought that it would be a nice move for Tatanka, thought they were both matched up well size-wise. And the gimmick with Tatanka, we figured Shawn Michaels can have a great match with a broomstick. Let's see what he can do with Tatanka. And we thought that their styles would gel quite a bit. And two young guys that were both hungry and really getting after it. So Sean makes his return on March 29th and he's actually working for USWA for a couple of warm up matches. Uh, on that first night, he beats Jeff Jarrett and the very next night he defends his intercontinental title and challenges for the USWA title in the same match against Jerry Lawler. Of course, Lawler wins by DQ. And after the match, Sean says the referee goes to hand him his belt. And he ends up accidentally smashing him in the mouth and it knocks out his front tooth. So he has to rush home to Dallas and get a dentist to put a cap on it. How's this even possible? Do you remember hearing about this sort of freak accident? Absolutely. Because he was in, in Memphis and in, uh, USWA spending his days getting smashed in the mouth and going home to Dallas to get a new front tooth. He couldn't wait to get back on the road again. No. Shout out to Road Dog for uh, mentioning us in a WWE promoted tweet this week where they asked Road Dog his opinion about Jeff Jarrett going in the Hall of Fame, and he put over the song and credited uh, you and I with the podcast sort of bringing it back into relevance. So pretty cool that he said that and that WWE let it air. 
Well, not only kudos to both parts. Uh, You know, they're both kind of shocking because it was that was Road Dogg's song, man. And uh, much as it's associated with Jeff Jarrett, it always will be. It was Dogg's song. But you know what? I think I'm going to claim ownership. The hell with it. Now it's my song. Hey, so let's talk about this. We said earlier when Sean had scrapes around his face, he said it was a parking lot divider and he had tripped, but really it was Marty Jannetty whooping that ass. Well, here he gets a tooth knocked out. Was Marty Jannetty doing run-ins in Memphis and whooping that ass? (laughs) Yeah, it could have been. Definitely. He could have been the referee there and uh, just shiznit his happens, by God. Let's get to WrestleMania 9. Of course, uh, this episode where we covered WrestleMania 9 featured maybe one of our biggest arguments ever, and it's available in the archives now at brucepritchard.com. Uh, it took place, of course, on April 4th, 1993. Caesars Palace does a 2.1% buy rate, which is roughly 430,000 buys or $5.8 million gross for Titan. At the time, though, it's the lowest buy rate for any WrestleMania. And our man, Shawn Michaels here is uh, in a losing effort to Tatanka again by fucking count out. They go 18 minutes and 13 seconds. So of course, Sean keeps the intercontinental title and here Michaels comes out with a new manager slash valet loot of a Sean. Meanwhile, Sherry is in Tatanka's corner and they're pushing Vashon pretty hard to get us going here. Uh, what do you remember about their WrestleMania match and specifically Sherry's out Luna's in? Well, it was, we needed a, a heel and we had broken Sherry and Sean up and we needed a heel. Luna was available and she, I want to say I had seen Luna in Tampa probably a year before this. She looked great. Was just ripped to shreds. Uh, Actually, sorry, while I was training in the gym, Conrad. Yeah. And she came in, she looked great. I had brought that up and it was just the kind of like Undertaker was the dark to my white. She was the ying to Sean's yang, um, completely opposite of Sean in looks and just kind of demeanor in that heel role and felt that Luna would give Sean a good edge and make that package a, a pretty damn unique package for the heartbreak kid so we thought about bringing luna in and and pairing them up i thought that they paired up very well i didn't think that the tatanka sean match was the greatest of all time i I thought that it was good and i thought that the guys worked well together but it just felt heavy in places i think is the best way that i could say it because their styles clashed a little bit and Tatanka's a big, thick son of a gun. So it was just a little bit of awkwardness from time to time, but overall, I think that they gelled pretty well and uh, had some good matches. Here's what Meltzer would write. Uh, referee Joey Morella was counting on Michaels, uh, who then knocked him down. Michaels got back into the ring, but Tatanka hit a Samoan drop and covered him for the pin. But Morella got up and called for the bell, ruling that Michaels was the loser via countout. Very weak finish to what had been an excellent opener. After the match, Luna clotheslined Sherry and kicked her a few times. And later in the show, they announced Luna had attacked Sherry in the first aid room as well. 
three and a half stars. So overall, Meltzer put it over pretty hard, but thought it was a pretty lame finish. Was there ever any other finish considered for this match? Not that I remember. No, it was a kind of an opening match card and same thing. We weren't going to switch the championship. So you got to have a screwy finish because Vince wanted it, uh, you know, opening match first couple matches on WrestleMania to be happy, happy, joy, joy. Well, there you go. Um, Sean would write, I was coming into WrestleMania, just healed from a separated shoulder and a knocked out tooth. And Chris Chavis and I had no storyline going into our match. We went 20 minutes before I was counted out. He was a very big and thick individual and a little difficult to move. The match wasn't bad, but it wasn't anything special. Do you think that's a fair assessment of his match here with um, Tatanka? Yeah, very much so. That's that's kind of what I was saying beforehand, that it was Tatanka could move, and Tatanka's deceptively right. big. And he could move for a big man, but to try and for you to move him could be difficult, kind of clumsy. All right, time out. I'm really glad that Sherry Martell is a part of the discussion here. And, uh, I really wish there was more Sherry Martell. I don't know, fandom celebration. I think she's criminally underrated. And I know that everyone says, oh, she was great, but my goodness, what an impact she made on professional wrestling in a time where, well, women weren't exactly priority in wrestling, but she was so important to the early days of Shawn Michaels. She is now one of the most universally respected figures within the business. And a lot of people forget that Sean was paired with Luna after Sherry. And maybe there's a reason for that. Not disrespecting Luna. I think she's actually a subject of a dark side of the ring at some point, but it makes you wonder what the thinking was in removing Sherry because it just worked so well for me. I mean, Luna on paper seemed like she would be a big star, but was it too early? Something about him and Sherry just really worked. But for that matter, I thought Sherry worked with everyone, whether it was Savage or DiBiase or Flair, wherever she was, she succeeded. And Shawn Michaels was no exception to that rule. Uh, I, I just think as a, as a community, we should celebrate Sherry Martell maybe a little more. Another great gone way too soon. Let's get back to it. Let's talk a little bit about Tatanka because I don't know when we're going to talk about him again. Hypothetically, and you're the master of caricature impressions. What would your Tatanka sound like? Not, not the best one. Um, uh, it's not the last time we're going to see Sean at WrestleMania though. After the Lex Luger, Mr. Perfect match, Lex goes to the back and is talking to Sean and perfect. Uh, and then all of a sudden, um, here we are, we've got this big schmoz where Sean is attacking perfect. And this is obviously done to set these two to work up uh, to a, a feud together. And these guys had been friends, even going back to their AWA days. Was it perfect's idea? Sean's idea or who in the back says, oh, this is where we need to go next. Sean and perfect. Well, it was something that Pat and I saw and that we thought would be great for all of the reasons that you just named. They were friends, both great workers. And they had great matches with everybody they were in the ring with. So good God, you know, who could imagine putting them together, the great matches that they would have. So that was the reasoning behind it. Take two great workers, put them in the ring with the program and let's go. 
Uh, he starts working again with Bob Backlund on all the house shows. He being Sean pronouns, pal. Damn it, pronouns, pal. Uh, and they take a, a European tour, which we've talked about many times here on the show. And Crush gets victories over there by count out when they're back stateside. Uh, he defends the intercontinental title on raw against Jim Duggan and Duggan gets the, uh, the win by count out again. This feels like the clashing of two eras here. Sean Michaels in a singles match with Jim Duggan. Does it not? Well, maybe in 1990, you know, Duggan, his star might've started to, to fade, but not really, you know, they were pretty much in my opinion of the same era, you know, hack is gosh 10 years older than me so he's 13 14 years older than than sean but it was still i thought it was still a contemporary matchup here and people thinking that duggan actually had a chance at becoming an intercontinental champion in late april and early may perfect is working with sean in all the house shows and they're doing 20 minute time limit draws there who was putting together house show formats in this era? Would this have been Pat Patterson? Yeah, this would be Pat and myself doing all this at this time. On the May 4th edition of Superstar, Sean and Crush wrestle each other in a King of the Ring qualifying match, and it ends in a double countout. So neither man actually qualifies for the tournament. Was there ever any consideration for Sean winning an early King of the Ring, or why was that never something that Vince saw for Sean? Well, for this King of the Ring, it was supposed to be a one-off this King of the ring was not going to be an annual event and to actually have a, a King. So the idea was more of let's, we got to do something for Brett and we didn't want to go back to intercontinental champion with Brett. So create a new prize and something new. And that was the King of the ring. So the King of the ring, the first King of the ring was designed to get Brett over and to give Brett a spotlight without having to give him a championship at the time. Uh, add on to that the timing of Jerry Lawler being with the company as well, and it just worked. Uh, May 8th and 9th, Sean is working with Mr. Perfect on the house show loop. And on the May 10th Raw, they do a return match for the Intercontinental title with Jim Duggan and Shawn Michaels. This time, though, it's a lumberjack match. Of course, there's a DQ when Mr. Perfect does a run-in. And this is the edition of Raw where we get the famous fight outside the Manhattan Center. Shawn wrote of it, he was going to throw me through the windshield of Howard Finkel's brand-new Cadillac, and then we were going to scuffle until the end of our segment. We didn't block off the street, nor did we ask any New York city authorities for permission to do this. Bruce Pritchard, who was producing the segment told us that he didn't know what was going to happen after we started fighting quote, when I tell you, we have to go, we have to go. So we got into the fight and Kurt threw me into Howard's windshield. Then all the police sirens started blaring and the cops pulled up and Bruce yelled, let's go. Kurt and I ran for the Manhattan Center, and it may not have been the most organized of vignettes, but it certainly made for good television. Some poor guy from the production crew was left trying to explain to the police what happened and that they didn't have to file a police report on the damaged car. It was Vince McMahon's idea to smash Howard's new Cadillac. He liked to throw a few ribs in here and there and thought it would be funny to get one over on Howard. 
he was going to fix or even buy Howard a new car. We shot the segment before the show. And after we taped it, Vince brought Howard into his office to show him what had happened. Quote, I'm sorry, Howard. We didn't know they were going to do all that. Vince let him waller in the misery for a little while before breaking the news to him that he had been had. Everyone got a big laugh out of it. And Howard Finkel ended up with a brand new Cadillac. So we've sort of hinted about this Howard Finkel story before, but that's Sean's version. What really happened? Yes, sir. Now you want to hear the truth. Okay. Well, first of all, it was not a Cadillac. It was a Chevy, like some kind of Chevrolet car. And we needed a, the idea was that Sean would be outside and we had kept Sean and perfect apart for quite a while. And Sean would be outside earlier in the day on the streets of New York being interviewed when a car would pull up and it would be Mr. Perfect and perfect gets out of the car because he sees Sean Michaels on the side of the street. This is his opportunity to go out and attack Sean Michaels. So we had, uh, Vince's driver, his name was Bobby at the time. And we're like, well, it would really be great if we had some toys because just fighting on the street can be eh, some, you know, problematic and, and just boring really more than anything. But if you have a vehicle to kind of bump into and play off of, that helps. And we said, well, we need a car. Didn't want to use uh, the limo because we had to go out to eat that night and uh, needed a vehicle. So Howard Finkel was, I don't want to say bragging, but he was bragging about his new car and so on and so forth. And and says, well, Howard's got a new car. Think we need your car. And Howard, not wanting to disappoint Vince in any way, shape or form, handed the keys over. And that's where we started our, our planning and our plotting because it was okay. Um, here's the bumps that are going to take place and so on and so forth onto the car because it was safer for the talent. Plus it kept the talent away from the, the crowd that was outside. We didn't have, uh, I think I had two security guys with me. If that out on the street that was just there, I didn't want to draw too much attention to what we were doing. And we start this fight. Perfect pulls up, and it's perfect. Um, They get into the fight, and Kurt takes him, and Sean does a hell of a bump onto the hood, and his feet go right through the windshield. And the boots that Sean was wearing were actually Tatanka's boots because Sean had on, like, dress shoes, and he didn't want to trip and slip, so he had the boots on and plus it helps go through windshields a lot better if you have boots on so they go through and they're the only thing that we really approved was we can take a bump on top of the car on the hood and then that's it but man once that windshield went it was fair game and they started going bumping into the side what i did not anticipate i knew that the cops were going to come eventually What I didn't anticipate was the cops came and they kind of surrounded us in vehicles and just sat in their car with their sirens going and they didn't get out. So watching for a second, I'm going, well, nobody's moving, 
But then all of a sudden I saw a couple on foot and they're coming from around the corner. And that's when I said, let's get the hell out of here. And I think I grabbed Sean and uh, had another person designated to grab Mr. Perfect. And we got them in the Manhattan Center. And there were two different elevators on each side of the Manhattan Center. Uh, I got Sean in one. They got Perfect in the other. And I said, just get upstairs and disappear. So if the cops come up looking for the two guys in a fight, don't know where they are. They're gone. Sorry. Can't help you. And that's, that's what we did. And we, we had, I believe I had the tape, um, going up there. I had one of the tapes. I had the main tape or we, you know, just kind of happened, but, uh, we escaped the police and the cops didn't even come in to investigate. They didn't care. They thought that the car was, was Bobby's who was the limo driver who drove it. And he says, oh yeah, no, I don't want to press charges. Everything's fine. It's okay. It's all part of the show. No harm, no foul, nothing to see here. Move along. Saving money at savewithconrad.com is fast and easy. Just ask Jordan in Murfreesboro. He says, Jimmy made the entire process easy. No appraisal was needed, and we got a great rate on our refinance. What about Glenn up in Sperry, Oklahoma? He says, I wound up knocking four years off my loan and even saved a few dollars on my monthly payment. Easy to work with. Jimmy is the man. How much are you overpaying right now? Keep more of your own money at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. So wait, lower your monthly payments and pay your house off faster. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? At savewithconrad.com. Love talking about my friend Steven Singer. You know the competition really hates him. He makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better, and he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every guest the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Head to Steven Singer Jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the person next to you. Here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The person next to you may be paying less. Do you want an important purchase like diamond jewelry to be based on your negotiating skills? Not the case at Steven Singer. Because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. Check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. That's I hate Steven Singer.com. What's it sound like that night backstage? What's Vince McMahon sound like? God damn. That's good shit. <laughs> well, the thing about it was Howard watched it and Howard, uh, got very upset and disappeared and nobody could find him. Finally, I think, uh, I think Pat might've found him or Jack Lanza. Somebody found him and said, Howard, come here. You know, you got to go talk to Vince and Howard, you know, was upset and he had, he might've cried a little bit and was just pretty tore up about the whole thing. And that's when Vince made him watch it with him. You know, damn Howard. I didn't know they were going to do all that, pal, but don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And Vince fully intended on, you know, 
taken care of all of it before we ever did it. You know, that's, that was the deal. You know, we'll do the hood and we'll get him a new hood and everything will be fine. Right. With the world. But what happened when we got it back and this was the worst part. So the car's out there and it's all bashed in. We had to call in a guy from 3d towing service in Stanford, Connecticut, Billy. And he was a good guy that did a lot of our work on our cars, uh, mechanic work. Wait, and, and this by the time this is a tow tow service. It's a tow service and he also had a like a, a body shop and mechanic and car wash deal all in one. And and it's called three yes. D. So So was it like Billy, get the tow truck. It was exactly like that. Where do you think the Dudleys got it from? Yeah. What I'm saying. Yeah. It feels like he was maybe from Dudleyville. Yeah. Yeah, Stanford, Dudleyville, same difference. And he gets there. He's loading the the car on a flatbed. Well, Monday Night Raw gets out. So people in the building who have been in the building watching the show are now coming out. They're getting ready to go and get their taxis and catch their trains and go home. And they see the car. And they start throwing shit at the car. And they are pelting it with pennies and bottles and trash. So even if the damage had been confined to just the hood, now the entire car is just absolutely getting trashed. People are throwing shit, trying to knock out the back uh, brake lights and things like that. It was insane. It, It was absolutely insane. So by the time Billy got it back and Howard got it over to his car guy where he had bought the car three weeks before, yeah, he's like, man, basically we need to redo everything. We, you, you need a whole new body. You need a new windshield. You need new uh, tail lights. You need new, new this, new that. Finally, and, and Howard would would drive it and go, well, just, you know, it just doesn't drive the same anymore. He had it for three weeks. Oh, it just doesn't drive the same anymore. I I don't know what's wrong with it. I think maybe, maybe when Sean took that backdrop, it it hit something that, uh, has impaired its driving ability. So it's like, you know what? Ribs on me. Just buy a new car. Howard's wife at the time put her foot down and called Vincent, do not buy him a new car. The car's fine. <laughs> so I think Vince just had the damn thing repair and gave Howard a hefty bonus and hearty thank you. And Howard was fine. On May 17th, we see another pretty big shock. Marty Janetti's back and he interrupts Michael no and challenges him for the intercontinental title later in the show. And during their match, Mr. Perfect comes to ringside and throws his towel in Sean's face. Marty inside cradles him and wins the Intercontinental title. Uh, This, I believe, is Marty's fourth shot in the WWF. And, of course, we know what's coming. (laughs) Marty Jannetty, man, maybe one of the most interesting stories in the history of wrestling. If you haven't already, check out that Rockers episode, but he was fired the second. This had to be it. it though, right? No, I mean, he's been fired multiple times and we, we run through the whole deal. 
but when you guys bring him back here, you're bringing him back and putting the belt on him. Is this not in the book of bad ideas to put the belt on a guy who's already proven himself to be untrustworthy? There's a long history of championships on guys that had long histories of being not trustworthy. Oh my so, gosh. uh, we just called that Tuesday. Oh, it's like that. Well, you know, sometimes you, 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 you play the hand with the cards that you're dealt. Okay. Well, I'm not mad at it. Okay. Time out. You know, it's fun to think about all of this stuff way after the fact, but context is King. And I don't know that we, as a wrestling community have always been super fair talking about Marty Jannetty. Because whenever we're talking about a tag team and it feels like one guy's the breakout star and one guy maybe isn't, people would say, oh, he's the Marty about the guy who wasn't the big star. But in fact, if you go back and you talk to a lot of sort of wrestling gurus, they'll tell you at the time they thought Marty Jannetty was going to be the bigger star. So was it Marty's in ring? Was it Marty's performance or was it Marty's outside of the ring stuff that kept him from being the star that Shawn Michaels was because I can't reconcile how the guy got chance after chance after chance. If he wasn't a damn good performer who had great matches and someone that Vince thought could be a huge star. I mean, at the time of their breakup, it seemed that Shawn wasn't really that much better than Marty in many respects, but Shawn was maybe more dependable. If you could even believe that was a thing, but there had to be a reason right? So here's the thing. We like to do this every now and again on our podcast. What if, right? What if the roles were reversed? What if Sean had some of his problematic behavior early in his WWE run and they went with Marty instead? What if it was the reverse? What if Marty is the one doing the super kicking and Sean Michaels is the one flying through the glass? Marty's issues perhaps would have remained the same, but would Sean have been lost in the shuffle or would the cream have risen to the top? That's another thing that worth debating to me. Like what if that breakup goes differently? Does Sean still get where he winds up or does the company you know, timing is everything, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think bringing Marty back to win the intercontinental title has to be a vote of confidence from Vince McMahon. But again, does some of this come back to what well, he was easier to do business with? And can you imagine? I mean, knowing how problematic the stories are going to be with Shawn Michaels in just a few years after that, can you imagine that Shawn Michaels was somehow easier to do business with than Marty Jannetty? Or at least that's perhaps what the thinking was at the time. Either way, we've got to talk about Marty's, uh, well, much talked about firing as a sign that Vince McMahon really liked him and, uh, had faith, trust, and confidence in him. And I, I don't know, man, it's just fun to sort of, what if an armchair quarterback, how this all could have been different had, uh, the roles been reversed. And I know what you're saying. Oh, that could never happen. Do you really not think Marty Jannetty could have had a hell of a ladder match with razor at WrestleMania 10? Of course he could. Could Marty have had a great match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12? Of course he could. You know, could, could Marty have carried Kevin Nash to a great match at a pay-per-view? Of course he could. Marty Jenny was a worker, man. He could have did. He could have checked all those boxes. It's just fun to think about those what ifs. Hmm. Let's get back to it. 
Sean says the next yeah. week they're in Nova Scotia and he went to talk to Vince. He said, I knew I was going to win the belt back from Marty and I was concerned about my matches getting stale. Ever since I'd won the title, I had been doing a lot of DQs and count outs and every match ended the same way. My opponent and I would put on an exciting show, but the endings were just brutal and took the wind out of our sails. He asked me what I wanted to do about it. What about giving me a bodyguard? Vince asked, who do you have in mind? Well, back in March, after I'd separated my shoulder in the match against the nasties, I was sitting at home one Saturday night and decided to turn on the WCW Saturday night show. I was always working on the weekend, so I never actually had a chance to watch that. Now that I had the time, I figured out I'd check it out. So I'm watching and I see this guy named Vinny Vegas do an interview. He was really funny and entertaining, and I couldn't help but notice he's huge. I think they were billing him at something like seven feet and over 300 pounds, which was pretty accurate. So I saw this guy on WCW TV and I mentioned him. Vince said, I can't do that, Sean. I don't want any WCW guys coming in. There are legal and contract issues I just don't want to deal with. And so Sean pushes, but he's very funny. And Vince says, it's a contract issue. I don't want to get into it. We'll put this, this idea together and see what happens. And he used to say that a lot. So he comes out of our meeting and I go looking for Rick and Scott Steiner. I knew they'd just been in WCW and they might know about this guy. So I find Rick Steiner and ask him and he says, oh yeah, that's Kevin Nash. He's a good buddy of mine. I ask what his deal is. I saw him on TV, thought he was a riot and Rick puts him over huge. He's a great guy. So Sean pitches, he'd actually like to do the bodyguard gimmick with him to Rick Steiner and wants to know what the contract situation for Kevin is. So Rick says, I've got his number. I'll go call him right now. So he goes down the hall and uses a payphone and calls him. And Kevin says, I'd love to do it. So the very next day, Kevin Nash tries to get out of his contract. And ta-da, before you know it, Kevin Nash is going to be at TV the next week with Shawn Michaels. It's amazing how all this came together. What do you remember about Diesel coming into the company? Well, I do remember Sean coming in and having the idea about the bodyguard and all that, you know, we did have to be extremely careful because you couldn't tamper with someone's contract. The very first question that you have to ask them is, is, are you under contract? If they answer yes, next question is, when are you free and when do you have the ability in your contract to negotiate and to talk? Um, then they give you a date, mark it down, and that's when you go back and talk to them. But to talk to, especially someone in my capacity or Vince or JJ or Pat, we were not allowed, man. You just couldn't have that conversation with the talent because that's tampering with their contracts. How you get around that is, you know, talent talks to talent. And if they want to share some of their contractual details, then they sure as hell can, which is what happened in this case and we still were like hey he's under contract we can't we can't talk to him how could you talk to him if he had a window in the contract where he could negotiate or if he was not under contract at all so that's when kevin nash went down and got his got his release and i think he told him he was going to go back to being a bouncer in a strip club and wanted to just be free and clear of the wrestling business. He was done. He'd given it a shot and wanted to move on. Only wasn't doing anything with him. They had nothing for him, so they gave him his release. 
He immediately faxed it over to J.J. Dillon, and the rest, as I say, is history. We brought him up to Vince's house first, actually, just so we could meet him and take a look at him and try and come up with a name for him. Um, that's where the whole weak chin conversation happened. Let's talk about the weak chin conversation. Well, Kevin came up and I remember had a fanny pack, um, you know, and his hair, he was Vinny Vegas. He looked like, you know, the old Vinny Vegas. Vince wasn't crazy about the look. Wanted to clean him up, cut his hair, shave and do some things. And, uh, and I said, you know, I'd really like to get rid of that goatee. And, and Kevin was like, no, no, got a weak chin, man. Got to keep the goatee. Can't can't lose the goatee. Weak chin. I'm like, what? what? The fuck's a weak chin? You know, I keep my goatee because I've got several chins. I'm trying to hide, but um, <laughs> you know, that, but that that was the reason Kevin wanted to keep it. And Vince like, yeah, no, God, he looks great like that. Good God, look at him. He's huge. So vascular. <sighs> but it was. Shane McMahon, it was a weekend. Shane McMahon was sitting out there with us and coming up with names. And it was, uh, it was actually Shane that threw out diesel. It's like diesel. I don't get it. And it's like diesel, man, you're buff. You know, he's like a badass boy. That guy's like diesel and telling us what diesel meant. I guess on the, on the straight leg go, uh, Diesel is a bad, bad babble jabba. He's a very bad, bad that could kick your ass. So Diesel was born. Did Vince ever use the phrase cock diesel? Not that I know of. Have you? Okay. Um, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing people say. Regular people? Okay. Yep. So Kevin and Sean strike up an immediate friendship, and, and Sean says, Kevin was the first guy who I met in the business who I could talk to and trust. I kind of looked up to him from a wrestling standpoint. There was no doubt I was the leader, but in life, he was the leader. He may not have had a great formal education, but he was sharp and had a lot of street smarts. Kevin would point a lot of stuff out to me. He didn't stir things up like other guys. He just simply looked out for me. And it was the first time I really had an ally like that. I told him about my situation in the locker room, how a lot of people didn't like me. It doesn't matter. He said, I like you. Well, a lot of people want to beat me up. And Kevin said, nobody's going to beat you up. Don't worry. What do you think about Sean's words here about how he sort of looked up to Kevin? Is that based on age experience? What was that dynamic like? And, and what do you remember about their budding friendship here in early 93? He looked up to him because Sean was 5'10 and Diesel was seven foot. I was ready for that had to look up to him you know that's just a that's what we call physics do 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 um you know kevin was a little bit older and had more maturity to him and he was a big bastard but it was also you know kevin was friends with the steiners he was friends with luger and a lot of those guys that had come over from wcw so now it's you know he's coming into this world and he's there for Sean's bodyguard, they're going to be traveling together. And they just, man, they hit it off. They hit it off right away, became friends right away. Um, Scott Hall was kind of in that mix because Scott had worked with Kevin in WCW as well. 
So, you know, the, the click, if you will, was born. Now, the original idea Sean had was to make Kevin like a, um, secret service type bodyguard, but in the end, they didn't think Kevin would really fit that role. So they went with the quote unquote, cool look, which everybody knows means sunglasses and a jean jacket. So that's the, that's the idea. And Kevin's not going to do much physically. He's just going to land the occasional punch or kick. And that makes, you know, anything he does much more meaningful. He winds up making, well, I'll tell you, go ahead the, on the look. And that was something that I'd come up with because they, they wanted him to be a bodyguard. And, and that was something Sean wanted to be in a suit and tie. My objection to that was he looked like Vinny Vegas. Then he, he was going to look too much like Vinny Vegas in the suit and tie and I wanted him to look different. So I wanted him to be like that bouncer, that badass bouncer at the, you know, the roughest club in town that stood over everybody. And he had to look, he had to look cool and I wanted him to look different than Vinny Vegas. And that's why we changed his look up and went with the jean jacket and the, you know, the glove. And I'll get into, I'll get into all that here in a little bit as well. Okay. Here's something you already know. I am a big believer in paintyourlife.com. Uh, my wife and I actually have two of these for our family hung in our dining room. I've given this as a gift to uh, a cousin. I've given it to my mom. I've given it to my dad. I've given it to my in-laws. It is a home run. If you're looking for the perfect gift for anyone in your life, a birthday, a wedding gift, an anniversary gift, mother's day, you need to discover paintyourlife.com. Especially if your family hasn't been able to get together for a while now, this is a perfect way to bring everyone together safely. And when I first heard that at paintyourlife.com, you could get a custom made painting. I thought, okay, that sounds cool, but it's gotta be expensive. I just remember as a kid, you know, you would see these mansions on TV and they would always have like an oil painting of themselves over the fireplace. And there's this huge mantle and boom, there it is, you know, lovey and whatever their names were. And then I found it, paintyourlife.com. That's not the case, man. You can get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. But when I say any photo, I mean it. I use the pictures on my phone because that's real, right? That's how we're all taking photos these days. We post them to social media and everywhere else. Well, here at paintyourlife.com, you get one of those photos and then you choose from a team of world-class artists and you work with them until every detail's perfect. They've got an awesome and user-friendly platform that lets you create and order custom-made and hand-painted portraits in less than five minutes. We're talking a quick and easy process where you get your hand-painted portrait in just about three weeks. Now, let me recap what we're talking about. Any picture, and I use the ones on my phone, of yourself, your children, a family, a special place, a cherished pet, or combined photos into one painting. Now, that's really special. Uh, what if your grandfather never got to meet your son and you wanted to give that to your mom? Holy cow, man. What a cool and special thing that is. It brings generations together. A guy in my office actually did that this past Christmas at paintyourlife.com. Unfortunately, his dad passed away. He never got to meet his son. So imagine his mom's face when she tore open her Christmas present thinking, you know, what is this? Another, And then bam, there is a hand-painted portrait of her husband holding her grandchild Years all around, man. It makes the perfect birthday, the perfect anniversary, the perfect wedding gift. This is something that's meaningful, personal, and can be cherished forever. I am a big believer. Uh, you've seen the, po the photos that I've posted online. You've seen the ones that Ric Flair has. 
Uh, it is a big deal, man. I cannot stress how cool of a gift this is, especially if you're talking about someone who's hard to buy for. We always know that person. This is the solution. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded. Guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off. And free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 64000. That's WRESTLE to 64000. Text WRESTLE to 64000. That's 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com forward slash terms. One more time. Text WRESTLE to 64000. That's WRESTLE to 64000. So let's talk about his debut. It's June 6th at a house show in Albany. And I guess this is the night that Sean is supposed to win the intercontinental title back from Marty and Kevin walks out in the middle of the match and nobody knows who he is. And Sean would write, there was a big gasp from the crowd when this giant made his way towards the ring. And of course, Sean gets the intercontinental title. Here's what Meltzer said of that match. Sean regained the intercontinental title for Marty Jannetty on June 6th in Albany at a house show. It was pretty well known that Marty was going to be a short-term champion. Although short-term being 20 days was a surprise. Michael's new bodyguard, Kevin Nash, parentheses, WCW's Vinny Vegas, who was let out of his contract by Ole Anderson earlier in the week after being asked to be released after being turned down when he asked for a raise, which was obviously a ploy since he already had a WWF spot lined up who hasn't been given a name by the WWF interfered causing the win. Michaels and Nash appeared on raw the next day on June 7th and Nash has still not been given a name and Michaels has not been acknowledged as new champion. Uh, what did Vince think about Kevin when he first like sees him in action? It's one thing sort of when you meet a guy by the pool, it's another when he's out in front of the crowd and you see how the crowd reacts. Is this a massive hit with Vince because he loves the big guys? Good God, look at him. He towers over everyone. And that was the key. When Kevin Nash walked out to the ring from the back, you can see people standing up and ooing and aahing, but you still saw Kevin Nash's head walk into the ring. So he's a big bastard, and that's impressive. It's impressive as hell. And that's what Vince saw. And Vince immediately had dollar signs in his eyes because he felt, you know, the big guy's got a presence and they're already, they don't even know who he is and they're responding to him. So pretty soon after they're all here, sort of reunited, Vinny Vegas reunited with the diamond stud and their new friend, Sean Michaels, Hall, Nash and Sean are just riding together pretty routinely right away here. Right. Yeah, they were, they were, they were buddies, you know, from before and Sean and Sean and Hall were friends from WWF Hall and Nash were friends from WCW and to get to know his brand new bodyguard, you know, Nash is jumping in with Sean Michaels. So they, the three of them quickly became a, a trio and yeah, the beginning of the click without a doubt. So, uh, I could tell in your voice there, but occasionally these guys gave you heartburn when do you remember the first time, like the click, maybe not in name, but just this group of guys, you know, there was a conversation amongst some of the other boys about them having heat or something where it just made you sort of go, Hmm, about that group of dudes. 
You know, the first thing that I really remember was Chief J. Strongbow making a comment about how they all traveled together and then later on with the one, two, three kid being a part of the the click and he would call uh the kid trailer because he would always be the last one kind of trailing behind. You know, they would they would walk in, usually uh Nash, Hall, uh Sean, and then if when Hunter got with him, then Hunter and then it was kind of like almost a the evolution of man you you go from ape and it goes down backwards um but it was funny to watch them all walk in but hey they also all dressed in in uh slacks and always had sport coats on and always looked professional so that was one thing that made them stand out as well but it was probably strongbow that was the first kind of referred to him as the click and these guys all hanging out and really pointing it out. All right, timeout. Let's talk about the click. Boy, it's one of the favorite topics here to discuss on the internet in this internet wrestling community we're in for wrestling fans. But I love Bruce's line here when he says they walked into buildings and they looked like Darwin's evolution of man. The power behind the scenes has been uh, bandied about over the years. Was it real? Was it not? Was it good for the business? Was it bad? And I think you could argue that no group has ever had that much influence in the WWE ever again. Maybe it was because they set a precedent and Vince didn't allow it to happen. Or I don't know. What, what do you think? Why did we not see sort of a power group like this before? Certainly we've all heard, oh, John Cena has a lot of weight with the boss. Of course he does, but it's not usually a group like this. Perhaps in hindsight, the next time we saw a big, powerful group like this in wrestling, and boy, we're going to piss some people off here. Was it the elite? I mean, was it like this little group of wrestlers who ran a show called all in and, and, and had, you know, uh, ties to new Japan and ties to ring of honor and ta-da, here comes a whole new company. But it is interesting to think like, what if the click existed, you know, three years ago? So instead of, you know, Sean and Kevin and Scott and, and Waltman and all those guys and Hunter didn't mean to forget him, but if everybody sort of had their sort of big push and big moment and, you know, they're in their prime three years ago, I mean, would they have done the same thing? Maybe probably not. It's just interesting to think about how this supposed backstage power manifests itself in reality on TV. And I can't think of another instance where it happened twice than right here. I mean, I guess you could say the NWO, but that, that feels different because, or is it different? I don't know. I think we've talked about this enough to where even I'm confused now. Let's get back to it. This gets us to the very first King of the Ring pay-per-view. It goes down on June 13th from Dayton, Ohio, about 6,500 fans to sell out the joint. And they paid around 80 grand at the gate. Sean's working with crush here and they go about 11 minutes and Sean actually gets a pin for a win for once, believe it or not. Here's what Meltzer wrote. Crush has improved a lot in the area that he can do good moves and has agility, but he still doesn't work well with others. He's going to have a problem in that he's so much larger than almost all the wrestlers, especially now that everyone's off the juice in this match. It was hard because they do all the cliche big man, little man spots that were done in the three previous bouts on the card here. They gave Kevin Nash, the name diesel in a pre-match interview diesel distracted crush, allowing Sean to post him several times, 
but crush kicked out on the pin crush comes back, reversing a front face lock and throwing him over the top rope to the floor. And then he gets several near falls until both doinks come down and distract him, allowing Sean to come from behind and super kick him for the pin a star and a half. Um, was there ever any long-term plan to do anything with crush and Sean, or was this always designed to give Sean a win and set up doink and crush? This was designed to set up the whole doink and crush, and it was a way to get to a pay-per-view event, a pay-per-view match that they hadn't seen before and do something different than kind of spin them both off after the fact. Sean finishes June beating Marty on all the house shows. And then in July, he's working with Mr. Perfect again, usually winning, occasionally losing by count out. And then on June 28th, uh, we see Sean defeat Kamala with a super kick after Diesel distracted him. <laughs> Kamala's unit wanted to say hi. I'll drink to that. It's always fascinating to me when you, you see a result like that. Sean defeats Kamala. Like that feels like, Hey, but those guys weren't even in the business at the same time. What the hell? Uh, July 19th, we see another raw episode where Sean and Marty are wrestling. And this time it's at a rematch, of course, for the intercontinental title and about the five minute mark, Marty DDT Sean and gets the pin, but Sean's foot's on the rope. So they restart the match. Of course, you know what's coming here. Marty charges at Sean, but misses and goes outside. Diesel rolls him in, and Sean pins him to win the match. I know we've we've sort of talked about Marty's hokey pokey run here, but there really was some magic to him working with Sean Michaels, was there not? I think there was, just sheerly out of their long history together as tag team champions. And as crazy as Marty's runs were in and out of the company, when the bell rang and especially with Sean, they made magic and they had lightning in a bottle and it was fun to watch. Sean works a dark match on the July 25th raw. And I bring it up because Owen Hart is his opponent and Owen gets the win by DQ and Sean would write of working with Owen, working with Owen was fantastic. He was great. And by far the most talented of all the hearts with Owen, you could call things on the fly, change things up experiment and basically do anything you wanted to do. He was a pure joy to work with. Now, of course, Sean wrote this years after Owen had passed and we've talked about the rumor and innuendo from late 97, early 98 with Sean and Owen. But in this era, Sean was getting along pretty well with Owen, right? Yeah, he was. And Owen was a pure joy to work with. And everything that Sean said there is true. Owen didn't take himself too seriously. So he was a joy to work with. He could do anything and everything, and he liked to have fun in the ring. So when you're out on the road and you're working day in and day out, it's good to loosen up and have somebody that you can, you know, have fun with in the ring. And Owen was that guy. They do a Madison Square Garden uh, elimination match on August 13th, and this match has uh, Sean, Diesel and Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Mr. Perfect, Marty Jannetty, and Tatanka. And then they do a uh, SummerSlam Spectacular on August 16th in Poughkeepsie. And we would see Sean beat Bob Backlund here. They do a cage match the very next night in White Plains, and it's with Sean Michaels and Marty Jannetty. So they've got an interesting lineup here for the house shows. Um, 
let's talk about SummerSlam. This goes down August 30th, 1993. We're in Auburn Hills, Michigan, and it doesn't sell out, but it is the largest crowd of the year for a wrestling show, somewhere between 18 and 19,000 folks. And we finally get this Shawn Michaels, Mr. Perfect match, but wouldn't you know it, it's another count out. Michaels gets the win. He retains in 11 minutes and 20 seconds. Um, this is something that we've sort of talked about before, um, but not maybe in as much detail as we can here. What do you remember about this match? It got three stars in the observer. Well, it was, it was a great match and it was trying to, at this point in time, we're kind of trying to segue Sean out and he and perfect had been really working since WrestleMania in a lot of spots. So it was a way to just kind of move it. Didn't want to beat perfect here and give Sean the rub. You know, now he's got diesel and take him. If we are going to be able to, you know, take him to the next plateau here, there was, you know, talk back and forth as far as could Sean be the WWF champion to which Vince was adamant, absolutely adamant. That little bastard will never, ever be my champion. Um, That's a quote. He swore Sean would never be the WWF champion as long as Vince was alive. He will never hold that championship, and he will never be a champion. Don't bring it up again. Because watching Sean, you're watching Brett, and you've got what, traditionally was a territory of all these big guys. And now the guys that are stealing the show every night are 5'10", 6'0", 230, 240 pounds. And they're not giant monsters. And they're having great matches with everybody. So we're thinking, well, hell, what if, and the pitch was to make Shawn Michaels into that Ric Flair heel champion that everybody on the roster and everybody in the building knows they can kick his ass. They know they can beat him, but every night he walks away with the championship by hook or crook. So for Pat and I, we were looking at the intercontinental title, man, that was a stepping stone, but let's shake things up and try and get away from the traditional babyface champion which is what the territory was, and let's have a a heel champion, but a heel champion that was a chicken shit and a heel champion that people, that was beatable, I guess is the best way to say it. Vince hated it. Not going to do it. Never. Plans change. They do, don't they? Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help even more with a credit karma money spend account. You can be rewarded for good money habits. Who doesn't want instant gratification? 
If you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait. With Credit Karma Money, you could win cash reimbursements for debit purchases. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, you can visit creditkarma.com forward slash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com forward slash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. There's no purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MV. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Hurry. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. So let's talk about his chemistry, his being Sean, pronouns pal. Damn it. Perfect. Uh, he says they liked wrestling each other, but he didn't think their styles really meshed. He wrote, what we both did best was bring out the best in our opponents. Being dominant was something neither of us felt comfortable doing. My best offense was getting beat up all the time, and his was getting backdropped or thrown into a turnbuckle. It's strange, but two great wrestlers don't always equal a great match. And I think, you know, us armchair quarterback fans who are listening to this show right now, myself included, consider Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect to be two of the best bumpers or sellers of all time. Like they're going to make your shit look unbelievable. Uh, is there someone else you can think of in a more modern era who sort of reminds you of those two guys in that regard? Yeah, there, there's quite a few. I mean, Dolph Ziggler right now goes out and, and he's that utility guy to make everybody look good. And after a while, that's the label that you get. That's, that's your job. Go out and make people look good. Um, that's what he's doing. I think Seth Rollins is almost getting himself into that position because they have great matches. They're, they're able to go out and work with anybody and everybody. And the other guy is always going to come out better than he walked in. So you get that spot and it's tough to get out of. Owen Hart was like that. It's kind of a gift and a curse. Is it not? No shit. And you know, during this time, I, I disagree a little bit with Sean's assessment that they didn't gel. I thought they had some great matches. At first, they didn't gel because both guys wanted to be heels. And Perfect was not all that comfortable in the babyface role. So he still kind of worked like a heel and he thought like a heel. And Sean obviously was just a natural heel. But Sean took that role and, in my opinion, made Kurt a better babyface during this time by taking the lead and getting Kurt to relax and come on now, come back and be a baby face. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the suspension. And this is maybe the most interesting thing on the show this week to me, 
Sean would write about two weeks after SummerSlam, Vince called and told me I'd tested positive for steroids. I said, what? I'm not taking steroids. And Vince said the test came back positive. You have to take six weeks off. And Sean was upset. I'm not taking six weeks. I didn't do anything. And at the time I weighed almost 240 pounds. I was fat and couldn't believe he thought that I was taking steroids, no matter what the test results were. Look at me. I'm out of shape. I'm drinking a case of beer every night with Nash and I'm matching him meal for meal. I would tell you if I took steroids, why would I of all people take steroids every Tuesday night after the face-to-face interviews, a whole bunch of us would meet at the holiday Inn in the Newark airport. And then we would go to the bar. I told Vince, maybe something, put maybe somebody put something in one of my drinks. And, uh, I told him I might've been a pain in the ass sometimes, but one thing he could always count on was my honesty. I would always tell him the truth. And I was, I did not take steroids. I took a lot of other things and I told him about all of those, but I did not take steroids. If I had done this, I would admit it. And Vince said, I have no choice. You've got to take the six weeks. And I said, fine. And he says, well, you got to give us the belt back. And I said, nope, I'm not giving the belt back. Vince was angry, but I wasn't going to budge. I did not do what they said I did. And if I was being punished for something I did wrong, no problem. But I didn't do this. And I told him about the things I did do and said, if you want to punish me for that, that's fine. But I'm not giving you your belt back. And Vince said, okay, we'll talk in six weeks. And to explain the absence on TV, the WWF president, Jack Tunney, said that the September 27th Raw would show that Sean was suspended for insubordination. And they had a battle royal on Raw where the final two men left would wrestle the following week on Raw for the now vacant Intercontinental title. Of course, we know Razor and Rick Martell were the last two in. And the following week, we see Razor beat Rick Martell to become the Intercontinental champion. What do you remember about Sean's suspension here? The one thing I remember most about the suspension was Sean telling Vince that, you know, I'm out on the road busting my ass every single night for you. Will you sit in your ivory tower counting your millions? I'm out here busting my ass and making you that money. So if you want this belt, you can come down to San Antonio and get it because I'm not giving it back. And I remember Vince just kind of being tickled at that. Um, he was pissed, but it was one of those. Can you believe that little son of a bitch said this to me? And I've just always remembered that counting your millions in your ivory tower comment kind of went up Vince's ass sideways a little bit. And, um, he was pissed off for a while about that one, but. Sean sure as hell didn't look like he was on steroids and and I don't know um what the hell happened there. It could be that he was taking some other supplements that made it look like he was taking steroids. I really have no idea, but the fucked up thing was is it screwed up all of our plans for the short term. And in the long term, what it did was create a rivalry in a scenario that in my opinion was some of the best shit we did and got us to some of the greatest matches ever in history. It's so fascinating to me that with Shawn Michaels, a lot of times, you know, when the plans change and the initial thing doesn't work out and you guys aren't really happy with that, whatever you wind up coming back with, 
turns out to be like the best thing ever. I mean, you know, you could say whatever you wanted to say about the Brett and Sean thing in November in 97, but that all leads to the Mr. McMahon character. Who's going to be the perfect foil for stone cold, Steve Austin. And nobody ever planned any of that. It just all sort of happened and it happens here too. What were the original plans? Had you guys not had this steroid issue and had to strip Sean? Well, we probably would have gone with razor anyway, because Vince was looking at, at razor on down the line. Vince saw razor in that baby face role as possibly being the WWF champion one day. And this was his way of thinking, God damn, we'll groom him. He'll be the next champion. And if we're ever going to make the move now, this is, this is Pat and I on our side, we're thinking if we're ever going to make the move, we got to get the intercontinental title off of Sean so that we could get him into the hunt for the WWF championship. Even if in the beginning, Vince doesn't have his sights set on or buys into the concept of making Sean champion. We knew we could get Sean into the hunt to have matches with Brett and start going after the championship. And you add diesel to that. He's got a formidable chance, right? Really does. So Pat and I were kind of plotting and scheming that way, but then this threw a wrench into it. Now we don't have, we don't have Sean. We're going to have to rush razor. So let's just go ahead and get it on him. But when Sean came back and I was like, well, we have two champions. Nope. Sean vacated his. I said, I understand that. But I went back to in 19, like 78, maybe 1980, maybe 81, whatever. Terry Funk had a replica NWA world heavyweight championship made. And he would go around to different places and he would wear his replica belt and claim to be the NWA world heavyweight champion. I never lost this championship and Harley race. You're not the champion. I am. What, what if Sean just kept walking around with the belt claiming to be the champion razor won it. You know, he went through the tournament and he, uh, the battle Royal, whatever, and won it beating Martel razors, the rightful champion, but he never beat Sean. Who was the last champion. They both have a legitimate claim to the championship. And that's where Pat's at We could have a ladder match and they pet the hang the titles up and, um, skipping ahead, Bruce. I'm sorry, but that was where we were thinking even way back here. I mean, I feel like he could have just went straight to, and then he fell in the casket at Royal Rumble 98 and he was done. <laughs> and then he falls in the casket and bam, he's fucking, and then we're done. I fucking Mike Tyson punch him. Boom. He goes away. And so when Mike Tyson punches him and he's just laying there, how would Pat Patterson describe how Sean should lay there? Like a douchebag. <laughs> Just a little flat like a douchebag. I've always been curious how Pat knows how that. Never mind. All right, time out. This is one of my favorite stories in the history of something to wrestle because we hear Vince being adamant and digging his heels in that this will never happen. 
And then of course we see later that it did happen. And he said it was his idea, which is always great. It's kind of fun. Sometimes I get, I get messages on Twitter. When are you guys going to do a Vince McMahon episode, buddy, uh, about twice a week between Jim Ross and uh, Bruce Pritchard, pretty regular basis. Uh, but I love the idea that, that Pat and Bruce know behind the scenes, Shawn Michaels will be champion despite what Vince says, because they see the talent and Bruce gets a lot of shit for Mantar and TL Hopper and some of the silliness, but maybe he doesn't get enough acknowledgement that he knew Shawn Michaels was going to be the top guy even before Vince McMahon did. Now I understand in hindsight, that seems silly. But the WWF champions before that, that were most successful were guys who looked like Hulk Hogan, not necessarily guys who looked or wrestled like Shawn Michaels, but the business was changing. And there was perhaps no better example of that than Shawn Michaels. It's a state of flux in the company. You know, they're not quite where they want to be financially. They're looking for their next big thing. I think Bruce always says he's looking for his hit. He's looking for his next big hit. And who would have thought here it is under our nose the whole time oh and real quick let's talk about gimmick matches i mean how many matches have we seen in wwe history where everything's different after the one match like it it really elevated both guys to superstar status i feel like when that happens there's usually a gimmick involved and i know bischoff hates gimmick matches hates them and i get that but on the other side of this ladder match to me as a fan Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon are much bigger stars. Fast forward to like WrestleMania 13 and that brawl all over the building, bloody submission match with Ken Shamrock as the referee, Austin and Brett are much bigger stars on the other side. I don't know what it is about these special stipulation matches, if you will, but it feels like on the other side, if done properly, and perhaps it's in the context of it being at a WrestleMania, those guys are bigger stars. They are quote unquote made men. And I felt like that was the case here with this first ladder match. And man, it's just fun to go back and look at this stuff with the benefit of hindsight and see what happened in their careers. Let's get back to it. So Meltzer said the situation with Michaels marks the first time in the modern history of the WWF that a champion has left the promotion without losing the title. The most recent example in the WWF history would be 1981 when the moon dogs were held up. Uh, at the border between the United States and Canada, presumably, uh, you know, drugs, roll tide. So Sean says during his six weeks off, he goes to the gym and he feels like it was drugs. The moon dogs. Well, that's the rumor and innuendo. No, I think it was a visa problem. Yeah. He was Canadian and he didn't do have his visa in line. So I always heard. So Sean goes to the gym, wants to get in shape. And he says he was really heavy to the point that Scott Hall starts calling him tiny Elvis, but he really means the <laughs> fat Elvis. Do you remember, uh, some of the boys ribbing Sean about his weight gain here? Absolutely. Because he, you know, <laughs> he looked chunky. This is, Hey, fat guys can call fat guys fat, but, uh, yeah, Sean for Sean had put on weight, man. He had a gut on him and he just had that extra roll of fat going around and uh for the heartbreak kid that wasn't the look especially when you compare you go back and look at those pictures of him and you compare that to the next couple of years where he just was ripped all the time and had abs and really was very conscious of that 
there, it was a different Sean. Do you think the weight gain affected his in-ring performance or was he able to uh, still give the same performance, whether he was a little heavier or a little lighter? Personally, I like the weight gain because it gave him a little bit. He didn't have quite that polished look. I don't think it hindered his performance at all. I think that he was still able to go out and tear the house down every single night. Sean said at this point, uh, his relationship with Vince was not the best quote. I would go off on Vince periodically and then call him back and say, I was sorry that I'd lost it. He was always patient and forgiving with me. I think he put up with me because he really admired my desire to be good. And for lack of my better or better words, my love for the business. Vince also knew that I would do just about anything for him. I didn't apologize for the steroids because I knew I hadn't taken them. After a few weeks, we'd both cooled down and everything was fine between us. Was this the first time you remember there being a serious, you know, fuck you, fuck you conversation with Vince and Brett? You mean Vince and Sean? I'm sorry, Vince and Sean. You know what I mean? Pronouns, pal. Um, Yeah, but this was kind of the the first time that this relationship started to build, and it was contentious at times. However, they kept the lines of communication open, you know, kind of like your family. You have to, you know, you have to talk to your family. You don't always have to talk to your family, but Vince always kept those lines of communications open, and Sean used them. So Sean would have the good conversations and the bad conversations, Everybody could do that with Vince at that time, and he made the most of it. So the fact that he was at least doing it, they had a relationship versus guys who would see Vince and walk the other way because they were intimidated, didn't want to have anything to do with him. So Sean made the most out of it. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Say it with us, Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder and stronger erections to combat all forms of ED. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problem here. Blue Chew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code WRESTLE at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is wrestle to receive your first month free. And we thank blue chew for sponsoring the podcast. Let's dive deep into rumor and innuendo for a minute. Can we? Sure. So one of the reasons that maybe a lot of people are intimidated to talk to Vince besides, you know, him just being a big personality and everything that he's done, the history that he's built for himself with the company, blah, blah, blah. 
is that guys have to get paid and this guy's sort of controlling your livelihood and you got bills. So you sort of tiptoe around your boss. And I think that's commonplace, not just with Vince, but with a lot of industries and a lot of businesses. But around this time, Sean starts to push back a little bit and becomes a little bit more difficult to deal with and becomes more about, I'm going to do what I want to do. And allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo, a fan that Sean never met died around this time and left Sean two and a half million dollars. Allegedly, this is a super fan of Sean's, a male who Sean had never met. And all of a sudden he gets notified, uh, Hey, you're a millionaire. You've just inherited two and a half million dollars from a stranger. And this would come up in January of 96 at a press conference. And Sean was furious at the question and shut it down and said, no comment. But it feels like one of those, if there's smoke, there's fire situations. What do you remember about Sean inheriting a bunch of cash millions from an anonymous fan? I have always heard that rumor and I cannot tell I cannot tell you if that is fact or fiction. I always heard the story that, you know, the guy left Sean all this money. Um, wouldn't surprise me, but I never point blank ever asked Sean, Hey, did you inherit a bunch of money from people? I've had those that have sworn that that was the case and that he became a millionaire overnight and got all this money. I've also had people that swear that it was a work and that it never happened. So, uh, short of asking Sean personally, myself, I never have, I I just don't know. All right. Big time rumor and innuendo here. This was in the dirt sheets all the time. Sean's quote unquote millionaire benefactor. Of course, Bruce says he doesn't know if it's real or not. You know, my take on it. I do believe it's true. Do you think it's true though? And I got to tell you, it might actually make a lot of sense in hindsight when you hear how sort of Sean had, uh, the bravado to push back on Vince for so many years. I feel like a lot of talent, they have to reconcile. Okay. This is really the way I feel, but if I express it like that, I may lose my livelihood and I can't afford to do that. I got a wife. I got the kids. I got a mortgage. But if you got all this influx of cash, well, that changes the dynamic a little bit. I think they call it in the movies, fuck you money. So if Sean had fuck you money, Hey, I don't want to do that. So fuck you. I'm not then. Yeah. I could see how you, your swagger could go to nine all of a sudden, because this is not a job you have to have. This is something you enjoy doing. And if it ain't fun, well, I don't have to do it anymore. I got to think there's something to that. I knew that Bruce would probably not confirm it because here's the other thing. Does Bruce go up to the guy and say, Hey, so Sean, did a stranger really leave you a bunch of money? That's a weird conversation, right? And it is kind of cool and weird, uh, to see, uh, Bruce dropping Jericho's name on the show. (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen very much these days. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but it just, it's, it's fun to go back and listen to these shows sort of out of context of today. And in the context of the time, because this is well, pre the wrestling world changing. So anyway, I don't know this millionaire benefactor. Let's say you, is it real? Did you believe this or is it just rumor and innuendo that you read in the torch or somewhere else? Uh, shoot us a tweet. We want to hear from you at Pritchard show. Let's get back to it. Who believed it? Who swore that he did? Uh, I think is God. 
you know, one person that comes to mind was Ted DiBiase, who had told me at the time, you know, yeah, Sean got this, got this inheritance and uh, got all this money. He doesn't need this. Um, on the other side, there were people that j- just poo pooed it. And I want to say maybe his friends poo pooed it is to, you know, there's not really much anything there. Maybe he got something, didn't get millions of dollars, but I think it was just people telling stories and people perpetuating what was already out there because Sean also did that a lot. He'll perpetuate if they're talking about him. Yep. He's going to get him talking louder. He just likes to stir it up and create discord. Yes. Likes to poke. As I told Chris Jericho last night, he, he knew how to poke the bear and liked to poke the bear. I love your uh, just name dropping real tide. So Sean makes his return to wrestling on October 18th, but it's not for the WWF. It's for the USWA. This is sort of standard fare at the time, right? If you've got somebody coming back to TV, go down to Memphis and work the ring rust off before you get on the big TV, right? Sure. They didn't have an NXT or a place where guys could go in a developmental area. So we did have Memphis, put them on the car, let them go down there and work a few shots and, uh, get your ring legs back. Meltzer really took issue with something you guys did around this time. Surprise, surprise. You started doing segments on WWF TV where the fans could vote as to whether or not Shawn Michaels should be allowed back in the WWF. And of course he was coming back no matter what the result of the voting was, but on Monday night raw, you're promoting the 900 line as a way to vote. And you're saying that the results would be binding as to whether or not Shawn Michaels would remain suspended or he might be reinstated. Of course, this was done after you guys had already decided on a return date and Meltzer felt like this was fraud, which I kind of think is funny. Um, because it's clearly tongue in cheek and you would think everybody would sort of be in on the gag, but he felt like if the fans were voting and being told that this was a real legitimate vote, that you guys should honor it. Whose idea was it to have, you know, this be a way to promote the 900 line. And did you guys take any sort of uh second thought to Meltzer's criticism here? I don't, give a first thought to any of Meltzer's criticisms on pretty much anything could care less. Um, but it was a way to gauge audience interest and yeah, we already had everything, uh, set, but we wanted to get interest in things and get people's temperature on a lot of things. We would always try those things just to see where do they really, where do they really stand? You can listen to the audience a lot and think, you know, where they're at but you could do a poll too, and they'll tell you exactly what they want and what they don't want. That's what we did with those things. It was a way to, to take the temperature of the audience at the end of the show and make money. You guys announced results throughout the show. And then at the end of the show, you announced that 64% of the fans have voted against allowing Shawn Michaels to come back. But what's funny is the show is sort of staggering the airing, right? So you've got the the East coast feed and then the West coast feed. Well, so the WWF when Meltzer allegedly calls you guys on the carpet, you guys refund everybody who saw the West coast feed because the results were already in. Do you remember that being a situation where you guys actually had a conversation about refunding the silly hotline? Yeah, we did because the time zone in, in the uh, USA had a delay to where 
if it started at nine o'clock on the East Coast, it was eight, you know, it's nine o'clock, eight central. However, on the West Coast, it was nine o'clock. So they got it three hours later. And Vince didn't feel, you know, we, we tried to get USA to take the spot out, but they couldn't do it in that short of a turnaround. And at those times, it just wasn't that easy to edit the show on the fly. So we had to bite the bullet and we tried to do it. We did crawls from time to time, but people still called. You do a crawl saying, you know, the hotline is now closed. The results have already come in and all that other stuff. But he misses that part of it. Sean comes back to the WWF on November 10th in a house show in New York. Uh, on the 18th, 19th, and 20th, he's in losing efforts in a cage match with Bret Hart. But of course, the plan, as we know, is going to be to do this dual intercontinental title thing with Razor Ramon, which we're going to get into uh, coming up pretty soon. This takes us to Survivor Series 1993. That goes down in Boston, Massachusetts on November 24th. Huge crowd here at the Boston Garden. Over 15,500 fans in attendance, all but a few hundred of those paid. So the gate's huge, 180 grand or so. And I cannot wait to talk about this because on the way to this match, there is an audible called. Originally, it's supposed to be Jerry Lawler and Jerry Lawler has some troubles. We'll talk about that on a Jerry Lawler episode, not here. And Shawn Michaels is the guy. Is Shawn Michaels the guy just because he didn't really have anything going on? Is this right place, right time for this match? Exactly. And it was it was such short notice. We didn't have anything for Shawn, and we had planned on bringing Shawn back and doing something with Razor to get us to the next level. But uh, it was right place, right time. We needed a heel. It was plug and play. Well, let's talk about, you know, this is something we get asked about the whole time. There was a promo done with Shawn Michaels and a new interviewer for the WWF. Tell us where the promo was shot, who was talking to Shawn about the match, and uh, maybe even an impression of that character who was interviewing Shawn. Well, since this was the last minute, Lawler wasn't going to be a part of the promotion. We had to we had to do something fast, and we had to get Shawn involved pretty quickly. The entire angle centered around Jerry Lawler and the Hearts and Jerry Lawler making fun of the Hart family, uh, everybody in it. So we had to pivot. So whoever was going to take that slot, since it was the Hart brothers standing up for mom and dad, eh, Stu and, eh, and Helen, eh, she's a good old gal. Eh, yeah. That we needed that heel, whoever we plugged in there to do the same thing, man, you know, make fun of the hearts. And we knew Sean and Brett would have a good match, but this wasn't really about having a good match. This was about getting to the storyline of Owen and Brett. Long story short, you know, Sean gets the nod and the idea is we're going to go to Stu and Helen's heart and Helen Hart's home in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Stu and Helen's home was played by Howard Finkel's house. And Stu and Helen were played by a couple of uh, actors. I think our uh, makeup artist, Jill, was Helen Hart. And Sean was going to come in and, and show us. And he had the opportunity to be interviewed by the world's worst 
interviewer and the worst gimmick, uh, possibly in the history of all of wrestling, the one and only Rio Rogers, baby, real man, the cowboy, the cowboy. Actually, he's the cow man. He's so bad. He's so good. And it aired. And every once in a while, you'll see it up on YouTube somewhere. The the famous Shawn Michaels, Rio Rogers. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the only two interviews that Rio Rogers did was with Shawn Michaels. And then he did a stand up with Vince McMahon too, right? Well, that he did color commentary with Vince, yes. Which is Talk also horrible. Rio Rogers. Obviously, we know the genesis of the character, but you know, chat me up, Rio Rogers. I don't know when we'll talk about him again. I always did, you know, the, this, uh, again, kind of like on here, when I go into stories, I go into imitations and, and a lot of times telling a story, it's funnier to tell the story of the American dream, Duffy Rose, baby, and get like all funky, funky, like a monkey and get crazy. If you will, baby, Jerry Jarrett was, uh, sitting in on some of these meetings and it just tickled the hell out of him. My dusty Rhodes impersonation. He'd be fans. We need to get Bruce on TV with that character. I'm like, it's not a character. It's dusty. You know, it's not, uh, in case you didn't know, Jerry, there's this guy, dusty road. that kind of talk with a little bit like this, get a little funky. Second most recognizable athlete in the entire world. Second only to Muhammad Ali. Um, but Jerry wanted me to do this voice and do this character on TV. And I think it was Vince's way of, well, we'll give Jerry a little something. God damn it. Bruce do the character. And I didn't want to do it, uh, but I did it and put a fake handlebar mustache on, you know, a little Fu Manchu baby, uh, wore my hat, baseball cap backwards instead of a cowboy hat, Terry Funk's chaps, and uh, a bull riding glove, because that's what real bull riders wear, baby. Got, wherever you go, got to have your glove. And the name just came out. It was like, what, Vince says, what's your middle name? And I said, uh, Roger. Hmm. I said, I was named. When I was named, my brother Tom was given the opportunity to name me. And he wanted to name me Roy Roger Pritchard. And my mom said, no but she gave in for the Roger and uh, there was a heel on the soap opera. She was watching by the name. His name was Bruce. He was the heel on the soap opera. So she liked Bruce and that's how I became Bruce Rogers. So I said, okay, well, Roger, he liked Roger and because uh, Roy Rogers and everything else. And I forget how the hell we got to Rio, but then Rio Rogers was born, baby. R-E-O-R-O-D-G-E-R-F, baby. Funky. And I called Dusty. I called Dusty before I did it and and told him what we were going to do. And I said, Dream, if, you, uh, if you're uncomfortable with it, you don't want us to do it, just say the word, man. I won't do it. He goes, Punkinhead, you're going to do what you're going to do anyway. So go ahead on with your bad self. And we did. Why didn't Rio Rogers last? Because it sucked. Lots of it was stuff. horrible. Lots of stuff sucked and it lasted. Why didn't this last? I didn't want to because I didn't want to do it. I just I hated it. It sucked. Here's the thing: if you if you come up with a character, come up with an original character. This was clearly just me doing Dusty. 
And I don't think that it was as entertaining to the masses as it was entertaining to guys in a room, in a booking room, trying to come up with ideas, you know, and going into a dusty imitation. It, it just wasn't that entertaining to the, to the broad based market. Nobody cared. All right. Timeout. Boy, we get a lot of questions about this and isn't it fun to sort of make fun of Bruce for Reno Rogers. I mean, I guess it's interesting the different ways that Bruce got on TV over the years. You know, he was a ring announcer. He was a backstage correspondent. He did a commentary occasionally, but then he's an evil televangelist, I guess, perhaps. Uh, but this Reno Rogers thing, oof, this, I don't, were we just, was he high? Is he out of ideas? Both. This is not good. I mean, can you imagine if there was a, a character today whose sole existence was an impression of someone else? I guess WCW did that with Oklahoma. I don't know, man. It just feels weird. Does it not? Uh, Bruce just randomly on TV here. I guess it's a testament to Bruce being a performer. You know, uh, he could do anything as you've heard here on the show with some of these silly impressions and he knows how to entertain you, but I think he just preferred to be behind the scenes more, but it is sort of interesting to think, what if they went with Reno Rogers more? Can you imagine if he was like an evil referee or something? I don't know. It feels weird. The whole concept is weird, but what if they just would have let Bruce be Bruce on TV? You know what I mean? Like what if the Bruce that we first met here in 2016 on something to wrestle, what if that guy was just doing, you know, color commentary all the time? I think he could have done it. I think he could have did great at it because he could have mixed in the impressions and the silliness. It would have been a little different for sure, but having almost like a, a radio DJ, a shock jock, if you will, just taking what Jesse Ventura was doing and well, sprinkling a little Bruce on it. I think it could have worked. Anyway, let's get back to it. Let's talk about survivor series 93. I can't wait for us to do a full show on this. I'm sure we'll probably do it this November. Here we've got Bruce and Keith, Brett and Owen, the hearts, and they're taking on Shawn Michaels and the blue Knight, which is Greg Valentine, the red Knight, which is Barry Horowitz and the black Knight, which is the incredible Jeff Gaylord. They go 30 minutes and 57 seconds. And here's what Meltzer said way too long. And it just didn't work. They tried to plug Michaels into the Lawler spot and claimed Michaels had been insulting the family all this time. And anyone who watched TV knew better. Michaels couldn't carry for interest and the Knights came off as jobbers and Ray Combs as an announcer totally buried both Bruce and Keith to the television audience acting like they weren't even wrestlers trying to make it out like your history teacher was in there trying to play wrestler. Combs told jokes on the PA before the show that didn't get over and the Red Knight was originally supposed to be Terry Funk but Funk at the last minute decided to go home. Um, eventually it's three hearts versus Sean Michaels and Michaels take all kind takes all kinds of great bumps before just walking out. And after the match, Owen comes back out and starts arguing with Brett. And this starts the heel turn as his mother wept a star and a half, not the best match, but man, there's so much meat on the bone with the story of this match. Is there not Bruce? Well, the original idea with Terry Funk being part of the night she had terry funk and greg valentine the idea behind the match was we were going to build up to each of the nights getting unmasked and being revealed who they were which is why we wanted terry and greg and 
I want to say we had someone else in there as well that was a bit of a, you know, an old timer, but a name as well. So the night before Survivor Series in the bar at the Sheraton there in Stanford, I think Brett broke the news to Terry Funk that he was going to uh, submit to Brett's sharpshooter and then Brett was going to unmask him. And I don't think that set too well with Terry as I got the phone call in my answering machine. Pritchard, I'm going home. My horse is sick. Tell Vince my horse is sick. And refused to answer his phone. Um, and Terry went home. So we had to scramble. We stuck Jeff Gaylord in there. And now really all you had to uh, unmask was Greg Valentine. And we didn't think that was a big enough deal to just unmask Greg. So the whole the whole story and, and structure of the match fell apart when Terry left. And it was all it was all just a backdrop to get to Brett Nowen anyway. So we just, you know, bit the bullet, said have the match and had, you know, make it the best that you can possibly make it. Had Jerry Lawler been there and able to perform that night. Would Shawn Michaels have even been on the card for Survivor Series, or what would Shawn have wound up doing, do you think? Shawn would have been in an interview role out there with Razor and, and coming out and making the claim of being the Intercontinental Champion and just furthering that story. I'm looking forward to telling Jerry Lawler's story, but I don't want to get sidebarred for two hours here, so let's keep rolling. Uh, November 26th, they run a show in Montreal and Doink gets a win over Sean, but the next night, Madison Square Garden, Sean gets the nod over Doink. And on the December 6th draw, this is when we see Sean Michaels wrestled the kid for the first time in the WWF. And they go to a double count out when Sean gave him two razor's edges moves in the ring, uh, which of course the razor's edge is razor's finishing move. Razor comes out and pulls Kid out of the ring as Sean's going for a third one. This leads to Sean slapping Razor. Razor chases him up the aisle, and then Diesel comes from behind the curtain and hits Razor. And then Sean gives Razor the Razor's edge on the floor twice. Sometimes um, we sort of armchair book how something could be put together, and this is all four members of the clique here. But this was good stuff, was it not, Bruce? It was great stuff, and it was... During the time, one, two, three kid who was coming in that we didn't really have any plans for and on a fluke, and that was the power of that Manhattan Center and that New York audience made the one, two, three kid into a megastar overnight. He was made. So he's put into this whole program with Razor Ramon and then Razor coming to the kid's rescue now makes Razor this really likable babyface character um yeah it was it was just good stuff putting them all together and then you got sean who has the big equalizer now in diesel and you can believe sean can beat razor ramon because he's got the equalizer on the outside so um that was the story we were telling and that's where we were going and it was really intriguing stuff at the time because you couldn't pick them and I feel like I should mention too, you know, Scott Hall's a big dude. So for Sean to be wrestling a match like this and then giving him two of these razor's edge maneuvers, uh, Sean's a workhorse because I mean, Scott Hall's no lightweight. 
No, he's a big man. And plus, you know, he's he's tall and he's big and he's thick. So, yeah, that's difficult. That's difficult for a guy Scott Hall's size to do. And then for Sean to do it to a guy, uh, razor size, extremely impressive. In early December, you guys do another UK tour here. Randy Savage is working with Sean again. Randy Savage gets the win five times out of five. Um, was Randy a special attraction, as you like to say so much on these UK tours? Is that the reason he was working almost exclusively in Europe at the time? Yeah, it was something to make that show a little bit different and give the European crowd a little bit different taste. And I don't necessarily remember for this tour, but this also might've been somebody getting injured at the last minute and having to send Randy over there to kind of help salvage that tour with more star power. On the December 20th raw, Sean actually co-hosts and does color with Vince. How do you think he did? Horrible. <laughs> you know, color's not for everybody. And Sean cut great promos. It was a tremendous heel, but he just tried to do too many one-liners and and tried too much, you know, Benny Hill type stuff that it ta- that's an art. It's an art form to be a good color commentator. And we thought that Sean might be able to slide into that role. And it was temporary because he did it due to uh, Jerry Lawler's problems. So Sean kind of slid into that Lawler role there temporarily for a while. Sean finished up 1993 working with both uh, Brett and Razor on the house shows. You saw a lot of their matches, and I think a lot of people would say Brett and Razor are two of Shawn Michaels' best opponents. If you had to pick one, who do you think gave Sean a better match? Bret Hart or Razor Ramon? Bret Hart. I think that Brett I think Brett and and Sean will go down as classic opponents for one another. That they, they are both each other's best opponents, in my opinion. Uh, that's going to wrap up 1993, and we're going to go ahead and put a bow on this episode for now. But first, let's do some questions, Bruce. Are you ready to rapid fire some questions about Shawn Michaels here? Hit me, baby. So here's what we're going to do, uh, just to catch everybody up. This is going to be one of our longest episodes ever, so we're breaking it up. So next week, as a reminder, on March 9th, well, what do you think we're going to talk about? Shawn Michaels, part two, will be here next week. But the following day, you're getting a bonus episode we'll tell you about in just a minute. But I don't want you to think that we forgot about you. Shawn Michaels, 94, 95, they're coming right up. We'll see you here next week. But let's get to some questions from Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Some of these questions won't be just specific to 93, so we'll just uh, rapid fire them all here. Uh, Colby wants to know, Bruce, did you ever try on Shawn's chaps? Not Shawn's chaps, no, but Terry Funk's, yes. Robert wants to know, besides Sherry, were there ever any other managers considered for Sean during his run? Well, I thought that Luna did a hell of a good job with Sean um, in that managerial role and kind of the sidekick. But other than that, no. And as a matter of fact, we kind of thought that Sean didn't need a mouthpiece, that he had his own gift to gab and didn't really need a manager. Why did the Luna run end? I want to say it was we thought that the better fit it would help Luna to be with Bam Bam Bigelow and just thought that that look and that, that package was a better package. So we just kind of uh, slide her over here. 
uh, how was, uh, Sean with that pairing? You've told me, you know, maybe he wasn't always pumped about having Sherry there, but then eventually he liked working with Sherry. What was his opinion on working with Luna? He liked working with Luna, thought she was crazy because she was, but, uh, a lot of times he would feel that Luna sometimes could take away from the match with all of her antics on the outside. And that had to be toned down a little bit. Ray wants to know Michaels is always touted as one of the greatest. While I don't necessarily disagree, what puts him on the list from a Bruce Pritchard perspective? Because he can work with a broom and make them look good in all of his matches, no matter the caliber of his opponent, he can bring anybody up. I don't, I can't really think of an instance where his opponent brought him down, but I think that Sean could bring pretty much any opponent up. Uh, Timothy writes in, there are a few people at least that consider Sean Michaels to be one of the most overrated wrestlers ever. What do you say to those people? I'd say you're misinformed and you're allowing rumor and innuendo and backstage reputations kind of skew that because I think that Sean's work in the in ring is probably the best that there is. Alan wants to know why is Bruce so overprotective of Sean? Sometimes it seems like Bruce is just justifying his bad attitude and how he treated people poorly. I don't justify it. I simply explain it and try to explain the situations at the time. And I think that Sean did have a bad attitude. And a lot of times it was inexcusable, but you got to get over it too. At some point, and get the match in the ring. Sean says, Everybody has sang Shawn Michaels' sexy boy song. Hypothetically, what would be funnier to hear Jim Cornette, Michael Hayes, Paul Heyman, Dusty Rhodes, or the Macho Man sing Shawn's theme? Well, I've heard Dusty sing it because he's just a sexy boy. Sexy boy. Ain't your boy, Tom. Boy, Tom. I'm just a sexy, sexy boy, baby. And, uh... I'm not your boy toy, motherfucker. Fuck you. I'm nobody's toy. Allow me another volley, sir. Thank you for that. Because I am the sexiest <laughs> boy of all boys that there will be sexy, sir. Good, sir. All right. I'm just your boy toy, boy toy. I'm not a se- Wait, I am a sexy boy, dude, dude. It's just a dadgum medley right there, man. Macho man hanging around. What's he think about that song? I'm thinking, thinking, thinking I'm the sexiest boy alive. Ain't your boy toy. Uh Uh-uh, no boy toy. Uh Uh-uh, not going to do it. Dig it. First name macho, last name man. Check out the boots. Uh Uh-huh, oh yeah. Ain't your boy toy. Uh Uh-uh, not going there. Uh Uh-huh. Aaron Murphy wants to know whose idea was it to have Sean wear a blue strap on the intercontinental title? (laughs) I have no idea. That just was probably a freak accident that happened. Wasn't a whole lot of thought put into that kind of stuff back in those days. Chance wants to know how was Sean and Davey boys relationship? Sean or Davey boy always got along. They they were friendly and, uh, they traveled together. Davey in, in some ways was kind of part of the click. Well, um, chance wants to know, is there anyone who refused to work with Sean during this era because of his attitude? Absolutely not. No people wanted to work with Sean. Cause he made him look good. Uh, Ruben wants to know, was Sean more excited to work with Pam Anderson or Jenny McCarthy? <laughs> well, the first time it's two answers. The first time around Pam and the second time around Jenny. So, uh, 
we had when we first had Pam for Royal Rumble, Pam was awesome. Uh, just a true joy to be around. But when we had Pam for WrestleMania, some things in her life had changed and we kind of had a little bit of a different person on our hands. Now there's rumor and innuendo that one of the times you guys had Pam Anderson in, it was hashtag drop top titty tip and time. Can you confirm or deny? I can confirm that in Malibu, California, in November of whatever year that this was before WrestleMania, that it was drop top titty tipping time uh, in Malibu, California. Nice little beach house on, on the beach there in Malibu. Uh, how would Vince McMahon describe what you saw? Luscious, voluptuous, caramel titties. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Cody writes, Sean elevated a lot of other guys game, but who do you think elevated his the most? Bret Hart. Uh, Kavana customs, who I assume is a designer writes, who was the gear designer slash maker back in those days and who gets credit for giving Sean the best look in his career. Julie Youngberg from day one. Uh, Michael wants to know why was Davy boy Smith always losing to Sean Michaels. That sort of made me laugh when I read it, but when I think about it, I don't remember Davy boy ever beating Sean. I mean, maybe it happened, but I just don't remember it. I don't think he lost to him all the time. I think they kind of went back and forth, but I think after, uh, Sean defeated Davy boy for the intercontinental championship. And that was all that mess with bulldog and the ultimate warrior that Davy was in the doghouse for a little while. Get it. Doghouse bulldog. I get it. Dave, Dave, Dave. Uh, Aaron writes, uh, does Bruce believe Sean and the click blackballed Shane Douglas's Dean Douglas ruin? I don't think believe in blackballing i don't think anyone blackballs i think talent has an opportunity to go out and perform and do what they need to do and if they they can't do it and for whatever reason it doesn't work out i think people have to look in the mirror sean did not like working with dean douglas uh neither did razor and they definitely made life miserable for shane douglas i love it when a blackballed motherfucker says blackballing don't exist motherfucker you were blackballed for like 10 years now you're up here saying no ain't no such thing as blackballing there isn't i mean just i I hate that term all right well what were you you were exiled is that the better word i was fired (laughs) but you weren't well lots of people have been fired and welcome back marty janetti in this episode has been fired nine times (laughs) (laughs) we've been typing (laughs) So, but you were, you were, Ross has been fired like six or seven times. So talk me through this. How was, how can you say blackballing is not a thing when you motherfucker were blackballed? I don't think I'm blackballed. Not anymore. I mean, this show got you over. I was just fired. Well, and not, I was, I I prefer, I prefer to use the term hated. (laughs) No, I'm not blackballed. I just got heat kid. They just hate me. Yeah. Well, yeah, another feeling. Uh, Larry wants to know who told Sean to get rid of the mullet. Has he gotten rid of the mullet? <laughs> I was like, don't need to say that. Mike wants to know any good backstage stories of the click. And he wrote BTK, but we know it means BSK. Uh, no, not really. I mean, they, they kind of, you know, they respected each other. I, I'm not going to go mess with, uh, undertaker and his crew for damn sure. So that's a smart thing. At least we can say that the click was smart. Sure. 
Steven writes, why does the SummerSlam 95 ladder match get no love? It was match of the year. In my opinion, I think it does get love and we're not at 95 yet. Steven, you get to ask that question in two more shows. Well, no, whatever, <laughs> not two more shows on the next show. I'm just saying that I was, uh, you know, we, we started out this by saying, Hey, we're going to ask all the questions. No, I don't know sure. if you're paying attention to that, but. I think the SummerSlam match doesn't get the love because so many people were enamored with the WrestleMania match. And if those matches swapped places and the SummerSlam match happened at WrestleMania in 94, then that would be the match everyone was talking about because it was first, because it was WrestleMania, because it was fresh, whatever, right? It was new. The bloom was not off the rose yet. So the WrestleMania match was first. That's the it. sequel is rarely as good as the original. Yes. Um, Ned Collins writes on a previous episode, Bruce mentioned Vince said to never mention the idea of Sean as WWE champion. When did Sean start to be seen as a top guy by Vince? Was it after the WrestleMania 10 ladder match? Was it a gradual shift or when did Vince sort of come around to maybe Sean being the top guy? It was a gradual shift. The WrestleMania 10 ladder match definitely boosted his stock tremendously. Um, but the big, the big shift was after WrestleMania 11 in Hartford. Uh, cheeseburger Eddie writes, uh, why did we never see Shawn Michaels versus Bam Bam Bigelow? Timing, you know, if, if Bam Bam had, had stayed around longer and again, it just sometimes comes down to timing guys, you know, you can't work with everybody at the same time. Everybody can't be the champion. So their paths just didn't cross in that way during the time that they were both there. Uh, Charles Pauly writes in a shoot interview, Sean once said that Sherry would tell him to throw guys out to her so she could rough them up for being unfair to Sean in the ring. Do you remember any, any specific times this happened? That was probably more in the AWA and that, that was, and they would throw Sean and Marty out, uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers would, and that's what Sherry did. But that was just a spot that they did as a manager, as a heel manager, and Sherry playing her role. But do you remember anybody sort of taking liberties with Sean or maybe trying to eat him up on TV and Sherry recognizing that as the veteran and being like, fuck this guy, throw him out here? No. And I don't know that anybody really ever took liberties with Sean on TV like that for her to do that. No, nothing like that. That, that, Armand writes, was it ever discussed what would happen if Sean slipped and got eliminated at the end of the rumble 95? Well, we talked about it and it was guaranteed that it would not happen. I, I, I kid you not. That was the discussion of it. I was like, man, you know, that skin in the cat, it's just so close. What if just, just what if, what if right. somebody hits the ropes on the other side or what if the ropes are oily and he slips He'll be fine. Um, when we did the in your houses, I used to take the in your house to the very last second because I could trust Sean to go off the air when he needed to go off the air. He was just that good. Um, Michael writes, what was Sean's first reaction to hearing Vince's singing of his now famous entrance theme? And was it ever used? And there's a link that we'll post on our Facebook and Twitter at some point this weekend where a lot of people believe the person singing is Vince McMahon. What do you think of this rumor and innuendo, Michael? Michael? 
um, well, it's just rumor and innuendo. The original, you know, the original song was Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart wrote the song and Jimmy Hart recorded the song. And I forget we had a, uh, we had a male singing it and it was terrible. Then the idea came up and I don't remember if it was Sherry Martell or somebody else who said, what if Sean sang it? And just that egotistical, you know, Sean singing it. And that's how we came up with Sean singing. I'm just a sexy boy. I was hoping when I threw it to you and called you, Michael, that you would have answered that as Michael Hayes. <laughs> well, the, the boss sing it better than anybody. This man is a national treasure. Um, <laughs> Scott wants to know, was there ever any consideration to adding triple H razor or the kid, uh, to the pairing of Sean and diesel on screen to make a real on screen click faction? Well, I think eventually we did, but no, not back in the day. No. Jamie wants to know, was there ever any heat from macho man for Sean doing the elbow drop? That's a good question. You know, uh, no, there wasn't. And Sean asked about doing it as a matter of fact, and Randy didn't have a problem with it because Sean did it well. And Randy did not have a problem with it. Matt wants to know since the timing had to be right. Did Sean ever accidentally injure someone with sweet chin music? Never, never that I could ever think of. Did he ever nail somebody? Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to be nailing somebody next week and it's Sean Michaels. Come on, Sean Michaels next weekend. All right, boys and girls, that's going to do it for this episode of Sean Michaels in 1993. I guess I should mention originally this was supposed to be one jumbo episode, but there was so much detail in 1993. I knew we had to adjust it to a two-parter and we made that call to do it just on the fly. I mean, we've had four hour shows. We've even had six hour shows before and all the experts would tell us, oh, you need to split this up into two shows. But very rarely did we do that. But this is one of those instances where I was like, you know what? I don't want Bruce to get tired and us not cover everything in great detail. Sean deserves better than that. He's one of the most important wrestlers of all time. And I don't want to gloss over anything. Uh, and I do think that, you know, the Twitter questions at the end of an episode are important because there's a lot of times where I'll get so one track focused on a topic that I'll miss some stuff. I mean, just being transparent. So it's way better to have an opportunity to let you guys ask questions and then we can follow up and sort of fill in the gaps. And there's been a lot of fun questions that we've gotten over the years that became a big part of the show. I mean, I'll never forget over on Tony's show, somebody asked Tony Schiavone if he had a low key big hog, which is hilariously like out of left field. And it became a whole thing on the show. And that was all born from a Twitter question. Uh, and I guess, you know, a generation before this, somebody asked about Batista's, you know what, and that became its whole thing too. So it's a lot of fun to, uh, ask Bruce to do some of the silly things that we see in Twitter questions too, like have him sing sexy boy in the voices of Randy Savage or dusty Rhodes, And it's just silliness like that, that shows the versatility of Bruce. And we're hoping to show you that a little bit more here in a couple of days, Sorry about the last minute remix. As I'm recording this, it is Friday, the 14th at eight 19 in the morning. Uh, so we waited until the very last moment to make sure that this was absolutely necessary on the off chance that Bruce could still find time to squeeze in a couple hours to talk about Dr. Death. But as we're talking right now, 
We plan to record Dr. Death this coming Tuesday. We're not going to make you wait to Friday. We're going to drop it right away. Uh, and then we hope to be back next Friday to talk about diesel. Yep. Another member of the click. We're going to talk about how important Kevin Nash was to the WWE and Kevin Nash part two. It's coming your way right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Oh, by the way, you'll get that Kevin Nash episode early and ad free. You know, the deal Adfreeshows.com. Check it out. Thanks everybody. We'll see you tomorrow morning at six Oh five, where we talk Pensacola with Peewee on Arn. love talking about my friend, Steven singer, you know, the competition really hates him. He makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better. And he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every guest, the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Head to Steven Singer Jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the person next to you. Here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The person next to you may be paying less. Do you want an important purchase like diamond jewelry to be based on your negotiating skills? Not the case at Steven Singer. Because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. It makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. Check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Hey, just wanted to give you a heads up. You're wasting money on your single biggest expense, and you might not even realize it. Just ask Brandon in Texas. Save with Conrad.com. Just hooked him up. He left us a five-star review, and here's what he had to say. This whole refinance process has been super easy. It's been entirely stress-free. I had a good interest rate beforehand and no real need to refinance, but I finally looked into it after hearing Conrad's ads. Turns out they were able to cut five years of payments, saving me about $50,000. Man, Brandon saved 50 grand and he thought he had a great deal. How much can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, and we're licensed in more than 40 states, so we can help more families than ever before at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? At SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.